Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this episode of the KLP. Today, we give you our conversation with Victoria Getz. Victoria is a certified strategic intervention life coach, relationship coach, certified personal trainer, and behavior change specialist. Her story is really incredible, and I won't spoil it for you here, so I won't say more on that, but we do cover such practical issues as dealing with anxiety, overcoming your inner demons, dealing with numbness, depression, and loss, the benefit of breathing exercises, meditation, and journaling, and much, much more. And I'm not just saying much, much more. There's plenty going on in this conversation. We really appreciate having Victoria on the show and really hope you find it both helpful and inspirational. Her full episode is also on a YouTube channel as well, just like every other episode. So be sure to check out the Can't Let podcast and hit that subscribe button. And without any further ado, we give you my conversation with Victoria Getz. Victoria. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Wonderful. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, I am too. I'm really looking forward to this actually. And uh, I really like your name. My niece is a Victoria. Okay. Yeah. And honestly, if we didn't have a niece, Victoria, I would have pushed hard for that name for uh, one of my two daughters. Is she full Victoria Victoria or Tori? She she goes by, uh, she, well... They call her Tori some. I always call her Victoria. I think okay. when the family's together, I hear Tori some, Victoria mostly. Yeah. I'm not really sure what her personal preference is, to be okay. honest with you. Yeah. I always, when it comes to people's names, I kind of like to stick to the, like stick to the actual, the you know what name. I mean? Like I've always been a little uh, like hesitant with nicknames. Yeah. Because you don't know, like, do they like it? Do they not? I had one friend yep. um, who like, he was, who went by another name forever. And then for whatever reason, like mid, late 20s, he wanted to go by his real name. That's what well, I everyone, did. Oh, really? Yeah. So I was everyone Tory my whole life. though as Tory. Yep. So yep. then when you make the switch, so is that working or how is that working out? Well, okay. So I've always gone by Tory because my parents didn't want me shortening Victoria to Vicky because my maiden name is Sinicky. So they didn't want Vicky really? Sinicky. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it, I've always been Tory. But yep. then when I came into my 20s, I was like, oh, I kind of want to embody that. And I love, I just think there's so much power in Victoria. So I was yeah. like, I want to be that. But yep. I noticed that if I don't say Victoria or Tori, people always shorten it to Vicky. Or if I'm emailing really? someone, they'll, even if I sign Victoria, they'll sign Vicky. No, they won't. And it drives me crazy. <laughs> See, that to me seems rude. Yeah. It's like, I'll give you my nickname if I want it, but I am giving you Victoria. So that's how I want to yeah, be. That seems, yeah. That doesn't seem right now. Are they spelling it V-I-C-K-I? Yes. So there's a lot wrong with that whole situation. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we, there's a lot wrong with that whole situation. I'm surprised. Honestly, yeah. I'm surprised that people would do that. I'm surprised yeah. that if you sign your name, um, I, so my first name is Theodore and my wow, middle name okay. is Kent. Okay. That's my husband and, too. Oh yeah. He goes by his middle name. Yeah. So I, I swore that I wouldn't do that to my kids. And, <laughs> okay. um, the reason that it is such is because I guess they like the names, but they didn't think that Kent Theodore Lapp, you know, worked oh, yeah. as, which I agree with, yeah. you know, like Theodore Kent Lapp rules off the tongue better. But they didn't want me to go by Theodore because the name was too long and I'd be Teddy, Ted. Yes. They didn't want any of that. Yep. So they called me Kent. And I kid you not, when I when we moved to Nashville in 2014, I was, I was I think, 30 years old. We had okay. two kids. And my mom, who named me, was like, now you're moving to Nashville, you know, from upstate New York and no one knows you. What do you think about, like, changing your name to Theodore? Like, mom. <laughs> 
That's like, maybe you should have thought of that 30 years ago. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, no, I'm not going to go by Theodore all of a sudden. You're like, it's a little late <laughs> for that. I appreciate the consideration. Yeah, we've, we've, went, we've crossed that bridge a long time ago. Oh, my gosh. Um, congrats on the house. Did I see you, you bought a house recently? Yes. So we moved to Nashville two months ago, and we've been living downtown trying to figure out where we want to be, what area. And so we finally just bought a house. So we're in the process. My house is boxes everywhere. We closed Wednesday, okay. and our stuff came oh, Friday. Cool. So we've been in the process of just trying to unpack. And yeah. Yeah, it's been a little crazy, but it's exciting. Yeah, that is exciting. Yeah. What part of town? We're going to be in Gallatin. Okay, yeah. sure. Yeah, we yeah. lived in Mount Juliet uh, for when we first moved to Nashville. Now we live just south of Nashville. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, congratulations. Thank that's you. Uh, That's wonderful. And yeah. are you guys from Nashville or? No, so actually crazy story. So my husband is from North Carolina and I'm from all over. This is my 11th state that I've lived in. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so I've been around a lot, but a couple of years ago, my husband and I were not together mm. and we had broken up for a while and um, I was ready to get over him. I was ready to just like start my own path and I wanted to move to Nashville. My sister lived here, so I was going to move. I came, got an apartment, got a job and two weeks before I was supposed to move, my husband came back for me and was like, I love you. I want to do this. I want to get back together. I want to get married. So I actually gave up my apartment here and moved to Savannah with him. Oh, so he was in Savannah at the time? Yeah. So he was okay. an army ranger, special operations. Okay. And um, and so I moved with him there and was really disappointed because I just like felt this is where I was supposed to be, but knew I kind of was like, well, I want to give this a try with him. We had been off and on. We had dated since college. And so I just wanted to see. So we'd always been long distance. So I was like, if we go long distance again, this isn't going to work because mm-hmm. I want to be able to put in the time and actually be in each other's lives and not have that honeymoon effect every time that we see each right. other. And, uh, and so I followed him there and then he decided in January to get out of the military and we were like, where do we want to go? And we started just applying to jobs everywhere. And the Nashville job kind of just fell in our lap. And I was like, yes, God, here we go. We're going to Nashville. Okay. Nashville job for him. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. So you were living here, got back in relationship with him. And then he was looking for a job all over the country. You didn't necessarily know you were going to wind up back in Nashville. Mm -mm, And here you are. Yeah. So I wasn't even here before. I had an apartment in two weeks before I was supposed to move here from Florida. That's when he came back for me. Oh, gotcha. (laughs) So, yeah. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. But yeah. So so even before then. All right. So when did, so you guys have moved to Nashville for the first time for both of you. Mm -hmm. When? Uh, Two months ago, August 10th. Really? Yeah. Welcome to Nashville. Thank you. Yeah. I love it. That's Andrew. Andrew's like the, he's like the, um, He's like, I think, like the face of Nashville. Like, if you like Andrew, you're going to like Nashville. <laughs> I love Wouldn't it. you agree, Andrew? Like, Nashville's, it's got, like, it's, there's a lot of really good people here. Yes. Everyone's Just, so nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think, um, I think you'll really like it here. Yeah. We love it here. Honestly, yeah. it became home for us super quick. That's how it felt. Like, ever since we, even the first day that we got here, I feel like I can breathe again. I just love, love all the trees and the people. And there's just something mm-hmm. about being here that I just love. Yeah. I think you're, you'll continue to like it. Um, so yeah, I'm happy to hear that. I, yeah. For whatever reason, I was just picturing you guys, you in particular, had been here for some period of time. Yeah, so, no. yeah, well, you got lots of, I think it's a good mix between a small city and a big city. Yep. Um, there's lots of great restaurants now. Oh yes. Course, I've been eating my way through yeah, the city. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, and you came at a difficult time for eating your way through the city too, but yeah. thankfully we didn't shut down here 
like some other cities yeah. did, like LA and some stuff, oh, like, yeah. some cities like that. But um, yeah, and I mean, there's parks around. Mm-hmm. It's just the weather's nice. Yeah. So all four yeah. seasons again, thankfully. Yeah, exactly. But a little like, bit of each. I lived in exactly. Indiana for a while, and I cannot do that winter. Right. Yeah, it's not for me. We were yeah. going to move to Boston. That was like one of our top locations for a particular job, and I was like, I'm going to freeze up there. Oh, I'm yeah. not going to be able to do it. So I'm glad I have like a yeah. good mix of everything again. What industry is your husband working in? So right now. He's actually, he's doing operational management right now, um, but he's kind of figuring out, it's really interesting actually to be a, a coach. Um, and now I have my husband in this phase of his life where he, he always thought he was going to be in the military okay. and, um, and then, you know, dreams change and, yeah. and he decided it wasn't for him and he did his time and. Um, so now he's kind of trying to figure out what does that look like? You know, I what, see. what do I want to do? What lights me up? And so he's in a bit of an exploration phase and, yeah. you know, it's interesting with the military, you have to say you're getting out at a date before you have a plan. So he's said he was going to get out in September, in February, he picked that date. So he's just oh, been on I a see. countdown trying to figure out what. And so sure. he's like, I just need a step. And that's yeah. what I just kept telling him. Like, you just need a landing page. Yep. And then from there, you can start having conversations and exploring and, and just seeing what lights you up. And it may take time. Yes. You know, it took me like six jobs to get to what I'm doing now and yeah. what I love and what I feel like I'm supposed to do. And yep. so, you know, military life is very different than civilian life. And so now he's just trying to figure out who am I? as a person and, yeah. and what do I want to do? And so it's it's really interesting to be there and not want to coach him, you know, sure. just be the wife, but also to help him as he's in this phase. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah, that is an interesting d- dynamic because yes, you're his wife, but then you also have these skills, mm-hmm. you know, these some of these experiences and things that, that uh, like not every wife has, so you can help him in particular ways. Yeah, that is an interesting dynamic, but I could see yeah. where you want to like, you know, you don't want to just like coach him every <laughs> yes, hour of every yes. day either. That's not the, like yep. that could become overpowering too, exactly. I'm sure. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's, it's an interesting thing in the relationship that not every couple would work through. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, speaking of landing page, um, Andrew, can you pull up her website? It's a, uh, is it healvictoriously.com? Yes. Healvictoriously.com. Yep. This, um, this is a really nice website. Thank Did you, you do this? Or I had I hired someone. Um, his name is Jordan Smith, um, and he is absolutely phenomenal. So I actually a year ago said that I was going to make my own website. First of all, I'm terrible with technology, not my thing. And it's really hard to make a website. There are so many things that you just like the. It's just way beyond my head. And so yeah. it I was just doing it over and over. I wasn't making progress. And so finally my husband was like, that's it. We're hiring someone. Yeah. And uh, we went on and Jordan's based out of Georgia, Savannah, okay. Georgia, but he's done websites for everyone. Um, his portfolio is amazing and he is awesome. So um, I, he had some details from what I had built before, but okay. I told him kind of what I was looking for. And he, so I did all the copy. I wrote everything that's on there, but okay. he did, he did all the the design aspect. Yeah. So do you write? Have you written before? Who helped you with your messaging? Because your messaging, can you just scroll down on that a little bit, Andrew? I mean, so there's a couple things that stand out to me for initially on this. First of all, the design is very nice. The Thank flow you. is very good. But then the second thing is the messaging is very clear. Me. So I that did was it. all you? Mm-hmm. Okay. You yep. didn't have a, like a branding agency help you or anything? Nope. All me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's impressive because Thank the messaging you. is is definitely on point. Thank you. Like when you come to this website, it's clear very quickly what it's about, who you are, how you can help. Thank you. Um, and that's, it's hard it, to yeah. get it that clear and clean. Um, yeah. Phenomenal job. For Thank what you. you're doing, that is a... 
That's impressive. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, it was a labor of love. But yeah, I just, I, I've always loved to write and I journal every night. And that's kind of like my process of thinking things through. But even growing up, I was always told you're a good writer, but I hated writing. Mm. I liked math so I could see the problem, solve oh, the yeah? problem. Um, but then as I've gotten older, I've seen the beauty in writing. And, and so I would just write something and then step away from it, reread it and just kind of go yeah. through it. Um, but through meditation, it's been a lot of things that went into what what do I want to say and who do I want to help? And um, I wanted it to be clear so people know, you know, I'm not going to be for everybody, right? Everybody needs a different coach, a different person in their life, but I wanted it to be clear so people come and they just feel held and they just feel like, oh, it's my, this is like what I've been looking for all along. And um, yeah, so it was was a a long process and getting there, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's mission accomplished for sure. And you you did a really good job writing your story. I assume you wrote that as well. I did. Yeah. Okay. First time I've ever shared like most of that. Most people don't know that. Really? Yeah. So it was the first time kind of putting that out there. (laughs) Well, the story is very touching and uh, I'm not a crier, but... (laughs) When there are stories of people that have gone through hardship, you know, like, mm-hmm. like it seems like you have yeah, and come out the other side of that, it's a, that does get me, you know, <laughs> I mean that, that story, which I, I want to get to, there was another thing though that I was watching that I was having a hard time not crying, honestly, was your, uh, your wedding video on Instagram. <laughs> yes. That is, all right. So here's, so it's just, you know, you got married recently mm-hmm. and like, I guess is common now, more common now than I think when we got married 15 years ago is having like not only great photos, but, and video, but like, like a legit, like five, six, seven minute, you know, video yep. compilation of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, those are usually obviously like most, uh, interesting to the bride and groom and then close family. I mean, that's just the way it is. Yeah, and then absolutely. like, but it's cool for friends too, because you get to be a part of the experience. But like when you see those or when I see those like scrolling through, if it's not someone I know very well, like I've always scroll right past it. You yeah. know what I mean? Cause it's <laughs> yeah. like, that's, it's not relevant. It's not, <laughs> yeah. um, but yours is extremely well done. Thank you. I mean, that is, uh, that video on Instagram tells you guys' story very well. Yeah, they are Wild Oak Films, shameless plug for them. <laughs> they are the best. They travel. They're actually located, actually, I think in Kansas. Okay. And I hunted. That was the one thing. I'm very, I've been a dancer my whole life, so I'm very visual. Mm. And um, and I like things moving. I love sound and that whole thing and how music plays in. So when I was searching, I'm like, yes, I want photography, but I want someone that can just tell this story. Yeah. So it's not only a message for us, but that's kind of like hope for other people and just this picture of, I don't know, I just wanted it to be of service to other people, to God, just to, I don't know, just display that. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we found them, I hunted and hunted and hunted and they're just amazing at what they do. And we had conversations, you know, what do we want? And we really just wanted to focus on the story and and they did it perfect. Everything they, really they did. did. Yeah, they really did. Um, you said it was Live Oak Productions? Wild Oak Films. Wild Oak Films. Mm-hmm. And you found them on the internet somehow? I found them on Instagram. Yeah, okay. I was searching. I don't even remember at this point, but I had been searching just going through wedding videos. I think I was on lovestoriestv.com too and just kind of browsing videos. I okay. watched probably way too many wedding videos okay. to get to where I got to, but yeah, yeah they're so you just know, amazing. Some are better than others. They are. Yeah. And but, they're just different. You know, some people want to focus on the partying and just that sort of, it mm-hmm. just depends. And it's a husband and wife duo. And so they just vibe off each other mm-hmm. and it's just, yeah. Do, did Was their sole responsibility to create this video 
and take some pictures on the side or just the video? Just the video. Just the yeah. Video? I okay. think, I think it's, I, I don't know if they've done pictures, but yeah, we had a, a woman from Chicago come who's, I know okay. her through the family and she's impeccable as well. Our pictures were amazing. Yeah. yeah. So Wild Oak travels, obviously they travel around the country doing mm-hmm. this. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really impressive. Um, all right. So let let us hear about your story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and by the way, I have as much time as you have, and so don't don't kind of rush it here because the story really is incredible. So, kind of, I'd love, yeah, just take us back from where you grew up and okay, go for it. Yeah. So um, I grew up in Colorado, um, and that, ah, is that Andrew. where you're from? Points for Andrew. Yes. Brighton originally. Okay, I was born in Littleton, but grew up in Aurora. Yeah. Colorado is the best. Let's just be honest. Yeah. And I lived there until seventh, well, sixth grade, and I've never been skiing or snowboarding, which people think is just the craziest thing in the world. And yeah, that's a yeah. shame. I know. Of. I was such, I was so focused on dance, and my brother mm. was so focused on hockey that I just like, yeah. it didn't even cross my mind. Okay. So, well, dance and hockey, yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's those, good, those are good too. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I have an older brother and then I had a sister and they were twins and um, they are three years older than I am. And so um, they were born and uh, I think like six weeks after my sister was born, she ended up getting cerebral palsy. And uh, my mom knows the story better than I do, but I think she was born um, with... um, forceps or something. And I think it just tweaked something. So she was born mostly okay. And then she developed cerebral palsy. So she couldn't walk and she couldn't talk. Um, the most beautiful soul ever. You just like being around her. She just had this light about her. Um, and so how much older than you? Three years, three years. Mm -hmm. And and then she had a twin brother as well. Yeah. 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 So that's my older brother. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so we grew up in Colorado and, um, just, you know, I danced, my brother played hockey and, um, you know, First of all, she was she just had to get so many surgeries. Like the things that she went through, a like now reflecting back on that just amazes me. The strength that she had, and I mean, seriously, she just had this light about her, and it always amazes me. Uh, like when I have bad days and I'm upset about something stupid, I think back to that, and I'm just like floored by her and just her strength that she had. And um, I think it's just such a beautiful lesson. And uh, yeah, I just feel like every time someone was around her, no matter who it was, like she just brought out the best in you and she just had so much light and love. And, um, and as I've gotten older and reflected on that too, that's been really inspirational for me because she couldn't walk, she couldn't talk, mm. but so much love and joy and just this beautiful light exuded from her all the time. And so I just feel like she was healing people in her own way by coming to her and by seeing her. Yeah. And that is interesting. She couldn't walk and she couldn't talk. Mm -mm. And yet you could tell that she was exuding love. Like, how is that, how is that possible? What is it about the human spirit that emits that? I don't know. And that, I mean, you can feel when you're with people energy, you can tell what they're feeling. And um, that's something that's really fascinated me because you can just, I don't even, I really don't know how to explain it, but it's just like... Around, like I just don't know how to do it without my hands because right. that's just how it is. It just is like I almost feel like it's just openness. Like when people live with an open heart, which is something I'm all about, I feel like you come across in the world totally different than you do when you're shut down. 
Mm-hmm. And it's so easy for us to be shut down because so many things happen, right? That harden our hearts and that we numb and and we are just totally shut down. And but when you can live through that and still come out totally just like ready to love, no matter if you're gonna get hurt or not, and still show up and play full out at life 100 percent I feel like you give off a different energy. Yeah. And you show up different for people and people feel that, right? Because when you do that, it gives someone else permission to do it. Yes. Because it's scary. Yes. Yeah. You're totally right about that. Yeah. There, there, and that is your sister's a great example of like that energy, but -hmm. then you're right. That is, that plays out with us in day-to-day interactions. I feel like you can tell if someone is like genuine, Mm -hmm. you know, relatively quickly. And if they've got something they're hiding behind, like a little squirrely, a little, maybe some fake, maybe some like putting some fronts out there, you you can pick up on that very quickly. Can you, could your sister like give hugs and stuff? Um, I mean, you could hug her, but she couldn't really move her arms or anything like that. So it was just, you know, obviously you're hugging her. So it was, it was very interesting because really, I mean, that's a lot of how we show affection, right? Is by hugging and touching and um, being in close with people. So but she still was able to give off like that same, it's the craziest thing. And sometimes when I think about it, it just like blows my mind. It blows my mind because yeah, so you could be around her, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't like she could just reach out and hug you or talk yeah. to you through things, but uh, there's just something about her. Yeah, that is, that is really remarkable. And I wonder if, I feel like people that have experienced deep pain and suffering, well, I guess that can kind of go two ways often. It can go towards shutting down and yep. having even more of a guard. Or there's just a there's a, a humbleness, a a love that sometimes is born out of that, like beauty yep. from ashes, because yes. because like you realize like your sister, she couldn't walk and she couldn't talk, and yet you could tell that love was like emitting from her. Mm-hmm. But it had to be that way or else she would have had to been like bitter. You know, it's Mm -hmm. hard to have a middle ground when you have that much you're dealing with at a very deep and real level. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And there really isn't a middle ground, you know, like I guess numb, like being numb, you know, like you're either going to feel you're going to power through and just open up and choose love and joy, or you're going to be angry and Mm -hmm. frustrated. And if you're not one of those emotions, because sometimes feeling into either of those emotions is scary. And so many people live in the middle in that just like numb, numb. Yes. Yes. When it comes to like the day-to-day interactions, you touched on that, which is a fascinating insight. And I, I don't want to pass over too quickly because you can tell when people are walking around with like, I don't know what I would think of as sort of like a, like a, a I don't know, what's the biblical term, like a clean heart and a pure mind. Doesn't mm-hmm. it say somewhere in the, in the Psalms about your conscience or something like that? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the, yep. what's the word I'm I'm going for? Um, it's something along those lines. Anyhow, like when people are, I guess, living in a way that's honest with themselves. And yeah. that is, um, you know, I guess honest with themselves and, 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 and their creator. But even you, you see it in people that, that wouldn't believe in a God, I think sometimes like there's a, there's a piece about some people that you don't experience in, with everyone. Yeah. Um, and one thing that I've always kind of been in, kind of, I guess, just felt like other people deserved it from me is, you know, when you meet him, like look him in the eye, mm-hmm. shake their hand, you know, like, like you're happy to see him or if you're giving a hug, like, you know, make it clear in whatever sort of small interactions you have that you're glad you see them and you're glad they're there, you know, because every interaction leaves people, it's like a positive 
or a neutral or negative. Like that's how you leave interactions. This is something I was talking through with my 10-year-old son very recently, just helping him through an experience that didn't go very well in the kitchen, you know, with uh, Mariana because, you know, he wanted food and then it wasn't a good time to have food and just he didn't handle that very well. Yeah. And it's like, well, you know, um, the next time you ask for something, think through it in these terms, not so much like who's right and who's wrong or what should have happened and what shouldn't, but every time you interact with someone, like you're going to leave that interaction, they're going to leave with thoughts that are like positive about you, negative about you or indifferent. Yeah. And, you know, let's try to stay away from the indifferent and negative stuff. Let's let, let's have interactions with people that is positive, yep. you know, because you can build up capital for yourself. And yes. and that then the next time when you want food a little bit before dinner, guess what? You've built up a little bit of that capital with mom and she might actually let you have a little bit, you yeah. know? So, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, th- yeah, thanks for sharing that. Let's come back to, yeah. to your story, your yeah. family. Yeah, so um, my sister was, um, she passed away when um, I was in sixth grade. She was a freshman in high school. Um, and before she passed away, um, a couple, I don't know if it was a couple of years, but she had been really struggling with a lot of surgeries and just really in pain all the time. And there are two things we always took her to Hawaii, which she loved. And, uh, and so that's such a special place for me. It's actually where her ashes are. Um, but oh, when she cool. was there, I, I love Hawaii because I just think there's just an energy there too, right? It's just yeah. a beautiful thing. And I just, I feel like that is who my sister was. Like she's just, we always called her borrowed angel. Right. And I think like, People are put here just to remind us that that how to be, how to live, how we were created to yes. be. And um and so, but a couple of years before she passed, um, she was struggling all the time and our neighbor had come down to my mom to talk to her and told her about um, getting her on something called Juice Plus and we ended up putting my sister on it and um, she had three inches of bone growth in six months and was just like, the teachers were like, what happened? Like, she's so happy and so for the last couple of years, she just really was not so much in pain and it wasn't as hard and um, so I, that was just such a blessing. So, mm. and that's really, I remember a lot of that because that's when I started to get older was that whole kind of transition with her. Um, but yeah, so she passed away in when I was in sixth grade and uh, her celebration of life was so special. Everybody wore colors. No one wore black. Oh, and okay. uh, and I still, when I think about it, we had a huge party at the house after um, and just seeing everybody that she had touched, right? She was a freshman in high school and the amount of people that came over because of her, you know, yes, they loved our family, but they came for her um, and just the impact she made in her short life leaves me speechless Mm -hmm. because there are, you know, rarely anybody does that. And in her short life, she was able to do that. And I think as I've gotten older, I've wanted to be able to carry on her legacy, right? So she couldn't walk, she couldn't talk. I can talk and I can move my body. So how can I carry on what she was doing with the gifts that I was given that she never was? Mm. And so that served as a huge inspiration and really like, just what has made me want to be able to help people and to serve people um, and to hold space for people in the darkness um, just because I feel like she was able to do that um, and I have the gifts that she wasn't, she didn't have and so I can use them and so that's just a really, you know, every morning I get up, that's something I think about. How can I use my words and use my body to serve other people? Wow, That's, that's amazing. I mean, the impact that your sister had on all those people but just the impact that she had on you alone, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. you're still here and you're active and you're very capable and you're going to do a lot of things. And 
some of that, a large part of that might be because of your sister. I mean, that 100%, 100%. is, that's really amazing. Yeah. It's amazing how God uses, Yes. I mean, what seems like an unfortunate circumstance mm-hmm. and even what is not just seems like suffering, what is suffering, Yep. you know, to work his good. Yes. I mean, it's, it's like the beauty from ashes thing is not just a cliche saying no. that is actually how it works. We were, I was talking with, um, Really good friend, Chad Carger. He's such an older, wise man. All his kids are in college now. And um, he used to be a pastor. Now he's a counselor. And um, he was talking, well, he counsels musicians, like traveling okay. musicians. Wow. And one thing you'll notice in Nashville is like we have a lot of music here. And yes. it's just really great. And But there's a lot of musicians that come in and don't make it, you know. Right. And But then there's some that do. And like the ones that really do, they, they tend to be out out traveling and under normal circumstances, of course, and when you're not dealing with what we're dealing with now with COVID, but out traveling and doing gigs and everything like that. And so he just works with traveling musicians, which means okay. these, these are successful people. Yeah. Um, and the music is probably going fairly well for the most part. And um, at that level though, even he said, it's, it's amazing how like the best songs, they all come from places of, you know, uh, suffering, pain, brokenness, hardship, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And you don't really, it's hard to get really good art in the form of music yep. without very hard circumstances. Yeah. So yep. the, your parents, can we hear a little bit more about your parents before you continue on? Cause they seem like they might've been nice people. Oh my gosh. I love both of them. Yes. Um, yeah, they, they're amazing. Um, my mom is like my best friend. She's actually in town right now. <laughs> She's oh, cool. helping me put my house together, but, oh, that's nice. um, yes. And my dad and they're both, um, you know, a lot of times a child with disabilities can really put a lot of tension on a family. I'm and sure. I commend my parents because they had so much strength and so much love um, for her and for us, right? Because it's, it's a lot. You're It's a lot that you're dealing with and they really just cared for us. And I also had a live-in nanny. Her name was Beth and mm. she actually officiated our wedding, but, um, and she served. Oh yeah. I saw her in the video. Yeah. yeah. The, so, yeah. yeah. So she has known me since before I was even born. Um, so it was really like a little power family that we had and um you know it helps because it's just a lot going on but my parents are amazing yeah um and they live in colorado still no so after my sister died um that everything shifted Mm. uh you know it's just a big difference a big gap you could feel it in the house just um you know and everyone deals with grieving in a different way Mm -hmm. um and there's no right or wrong way and there's no amount of time um that you know, you can't just give people three weeks to deal with it. It's something that comes in different stages and different stages of life. And, uh, and so, you know, my parents had us, but it was also a big change and uh, a big change for my brother as her twin. Mm. And so uh, he left and went to a college preparatory school or boarding school in Indiana um, by his choice. My brother's brilliant without trying. So that's where he went. Um, I think he just needed a different path um, when she passed. And so we moved out to North Carolina right after that. Um, And that was in, I was starting seventh grade. Um, And so uh, my parents were together until I was at the end of my freshman year of high school. And Mm -hmm. then uh, my, my, 
parents split. Um, my dad is remarried and he's still in North Carolina. Okay. And then my mom lives in Boca Raton, but she's kind of bounced around. She lived in Washington, D.C. and Baltimore and a bunch of different places around that area. Yes. And then I ended up going to Florida after college. My grandmother lives there. I call her Graham Cracker and I just adore her and we have <laughs> such a special relationship. And so I went there after college and so my mom followed me oh, <laughs> to okay. be close Very to cool. us. Yeah. And so she's still there with Graham. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. And you said the divorce happened in when you were in uh, ninth grade? Yes. Okay. And and um that which well let's let's keep going with your story because I know the the divorce also had an impact on you. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think, I mean, divorce is never easy and it's interesting now that I'm married and know more about relationships. Uh, relationships are hard. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I talk about this with, I have some single friends and uh, I'm always like people, we, have, we live in a society where people marry for the wedding instead of marriage itself. And marriage is, uh, it's amazing and it's very hard. Um, and so it's interesting now to reflect on my parents' relationship and everything that they went through now that I understand, well, starting to understand, you know, marriage in itself and kind of what they went through together. And so they got divorced, uh, end of my freshman year. And then, uh, my dad remarried about 10 months later. Um, and, uh, she, um, his wife had a daughter, um, as well, who was about, I think she's uh, like a year and a half younger than I am. Um, which is really interesting. You know, we had always been a family and now you're bringing in someone else. Um, but I also was away. I went to the same boarding school my brother did too, Mm. did. So I wasn't home for the separation, um, which I think had blessings in it because I didn't have to be part of that. I didn't have to choose between that, you know, I was on my own, um, and only had to worry about holidays and stuff. But yeah, that really, it took a toll on me and I was really angry, um, for a long time. And just, uh, you know, I blamed my dad and now that I'm older, I realize there are two sides to every story. Mm -hmm. And I totally think that like my parents are better as friends. Um, Yeah. I think now I think they had a journey together that Mm -hmm. served them. They were supposed to be there for my sister, Lexi. And, um, you know, I, they're both really doing wonderful. And I think that, um, you know, now it's interesting to see, but at the time I just held a lot of anger Mm -hmm. and I saw my mom hurting and, and I hated that. I've always wanted to be the fixer which is really interesting as a coach because you cannot be the fixer. Um, But my whole life, like if people are suffering, I will do whatever it takes at the expense of myself to help you. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw my mom just in pain and and obviously my dad, I took it out on my dad because he had a wife, right? So I felt like he was just forgetting about us. And she had a daughter that lived at home. So it kind of felt like you know, I wasn't welcome. And right, this is my own story, right? My dad never said this. My dad's a wonderful person. But when life happens and when bad things happen, we all create stories in our head. And these stories that we tell ourselves define our lives. And you have the choice what story you make Mm -hmm. and that is going to carry. And you can either keep adding to the story or you can change the story at any time. So, and, and on the divorce is was the most painful thing that you saw your mom was in pain and that hurt you? Was it that your parents who you know you thought love each other and would always be together are no, are no longer together? Is it that one or both has a new partner or is it that now you have a sibling that you weren't, you know, air quotes supposed to have? Like what parts of all that is like was the most painful for you? Everything. 
Yeah. Everything. And I think that's why it took such a toll on me because it just was a stacking of things. And I talk about this too, like when something happens in life, you can, it's going to serve you most if you look at that one thing, but it's easy for us to start stacking everything on top. And that's when it feels insurmountable. That's when it feels like you can't, you can't do anything. Um, and so I, I think it was everything, honestly. Mm-hmm. And it was so much that I didn't understand. And I was so young that I was still kind of trying to figure out my sister being gone. And, and as I was getting older and starting to outlive her and realizing I was doing things that she never did um, was really hard. And then, yeah, I just felt like I think home has always been really important to me. Um, I'm a cancer and cancers are really big with home and that has been. And so I think for the first time, I didn't feel like I had a home, Mm. um, because I didn't feel welcome in my dad's new family unit. And quite honestly, I didn't want to be part of it. Um, cause I was just angry and my brother was kind of doing his own thing. And my mom was going through her process of not only losing, you know, her daughter, but then her marriage ending. And then who is she now? Yeah. And, and that comes with its own interesting exploration. Yep. And, uh, and, and yeah, I think I was angry that I had a new sibling cause it felt to me that it was replacing my sister, I think. And, uh, and yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I think it was just too much too soon. Mm -hmm. Um, and in no one, you know, people don't talk about the dark stuff, right? Dark stuff makes people uncomfortable. Death makes people uncomfortable. And I think I don't like a lot of people who knew me, um, up until about two years ago before I posted something, didn't even know I had lost a sister. Um, and it's not something that I withheld, but it's also something that like you tell people like, Oh yeah, I had a sister and she passed away and people you hear the room it's like sure you know people don't know what to do and so I think that and then my parents divorced like I didn't have anyone to talk to Mm -hmm. you know I wasn't I I was just trying to figure out how to deal with my own grief without having a way to deal with it I couldn't burden my parents with it I didn't know who to talk to and Mm -hmm. um and so I just was kind of lost in my own world and I think um that's what led it led to my eating disorder Mm was because it was the one thing in my life that I could control. Sure. And uh, and it was the only time that I could breathe. Um, I started, I was, I did, I was bulimic for a little while and then it kind of switched from there. But when I would eat, you know, when you eat, you breathe, which is why people in this society are so addicted to food because we walk around not breathing all the time. Like everyone holds your breath, you're always tense. But when you breathe or when you eat, you start to breathe. Your stomach really? can, you know, fill and you start to slow down. Same thing with smoking a cigarette, right? Like if you start mm-hmm. to smoke a cigarette, you're breathing. That's how mm-hmm. you do it. So it's all these things that we're addicted to that make us breathe. So really breath is the key. That's interesting. Let's yeah. come back to that. But first the divorce. It's yeah. so you said ninth grade. So yep. you're what how old roughly? I think I was 13 okay. at the time. Okay. So you're a young, young teen. Yeah. So that to, so I lost my dad to cancer when, when I was 10 mm. and uh, my mom raised us by herself, us four wow. kids. And she, did wow. a great, she did a great <laughs> job. She's a very strong woman. Um, which of course that's, that, that's traumatic and difficult in its own right. Yeah. Now, um, the, 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 the thing though, that does seem extremely difficult is your situation where the the mother and father split dad gets remarried there's a a new sister in the, in the home and it seems like when you see these things kind of play out in um I don't know like I'm just picturing like I feel like I've seen this story kind of play out in in certain movies or a TV show or something where it's like a narrative there where you can just 
you, like the person there is, you feel like there's no, like everyone's left you basically. Mm -hmm. Like that's, it just seems like an extremely difficult situation to work through as a 13 year old, extremely difficult. Um, the, the thing about, I guess a death, you take suicide away because that, that would just seem very, I know that's that's very very traumatic for kids because they also internalize that. 100%. So it may be a little different and, and, and hopefully not as extreme way, but when a divorce like this happens, do the kids also internalize some of it? Like, well, what did we do wrong? What, what did like, you feel like you were, did you feel like you were contributed to the cause at all? Yeah. And then, and then there's no one that is here for you. There's no one that can understand. There's, yeah, it just seems extremely difficult situation. Yeah, it's funny that you said that because that was, uh, you know, I love to identify stories that I've carried throughout my life and that kind of have played out. And one thing that I always thought was that everybody I love leaves me. I and, think that too. Yeah. I think everything that is um, good either will leave or die. Mm. That's what I think. Yeah, and... And uh, the scary thing about that is you can start to attract that if you see it because whether you're making it happen, right? Like I had that that fear in that story. And then I would sometimes try and keep relationships alive so much that it would push people away. Um, and So you would try to keep it alive so hard that mm-hmm. you push it away? Yep. So I would tend to, if the relationship's really going to, has a chance of getting deep, I would tend to sort of tap out early and yeah. I'll still be friends, yep. but I'll hold them at a little bit more arm's length. Yeah. And it's the emotionally, I held them at an arm's length, but I would do acts of service. I would say to keep mm-hmm. it, you know, like if you need something, I'll go get you food or like show up in that way. But emotionally I kept people, I mean like my dating life, I never got close in relationships growing, you know, all throughout high school and mostly through college too. I always kept people you know, sure. where I could see them and, yeah. uh, you know, never really tried to go into anything too deep. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, that story of everything that I love leaves me, uh, you know, you can look at that in two ways and think like you did it, or maybe it's a way of setting things free that no longer serve you because sometimes you're not supposed to keep things for forever. Right. And right. so just because it's good now, maybe it's not always going to be good for you. So maybe it is a blessing that it does go away because it's not serving you any longer, yes. but you can also look at it thinking everything I love leaves me. So I'm not going to invest myself in love relationships anything and you can keep that arm's length but then what do you miss out on when you do that yes do you mind sharing how old you are now roughly yeah i'm 27 okay yeah um so do you still feel like that every do you still believe that everything that you love will leave you no okay Mm-mm. nope and that's something i had to do a lot of work on um but no i don't believe that mm-hmm. anymore and yeah, yeah. and if it, if i I really, truly believe there's a quote that I love and I forget who said it, so I hate saying it, but um, we'll have to look it up and see. But um, it says, I respect myself enough to walk away from anyone or anything that no longer serves me um, or makes me happy. Mm. And I love that and mm. um, because it's so true. And so I have now an outlook that if, if a friendship is dwindling or an opportunity goes away, then it wasn't meant to be. And it's not, it's not for my highest good because I believe that um, what's meant for me will never miss me. And what misses me was never meant for me. It's another quote. I don't know who said it, which we'll have to Google, but both of those things, because I trust, I fully trust that if it's meant for me, whether it's a relationship or an opportunity whatever it may be. If it's for me, I'm going to hit it head on. Yes. And if it's not, or if it leaves my life, then I respect that because I know if it's meant to be, it'll come back, right? Like my husband, because we split up for a year, dated other people and mm. he still came back. Um, and 
the way we, you know, I, I just trust that things are going to find me again. And I find that that serves me so much better. And, and it's a, it's a, a path that you are on every day of like, if something happens, you have to correct yourself and think you can't go back to that old story because it's so easy to assume the negative story and it's so easy to go there. And so it's learning how to catch yourself in the middle of labeling an event that happens and doing it in a way that's going to serve you mm-hmm. and, and help you. Yes. Yeah. I love that way of looking at it. What's meant for you won't miss you and what misses you wasn't meant for you. Yes. Because I mean, Andrew and I were just talking about this earlier today. Like they're the sovereignty of God in all things is like, that's what the one thing that we have to come back to, you know, yes. and, and God doesn't make mistakes he doesn't. And, and he fulfills his promises yeah, and he does Always. fulfill his promises. And man, that is, that's like the ultimate, like that's, that's like the ultimate foundation there. And so mm-hmm. when life does get wonky and things get out of out of control and certainly feel like they're out of control and so forth. Um, that is sort of the, um, that's the thing you can come back to, yeah. you know, like it's. Yeah. And because like, well, if uh, a, we're never in control. And so I like everything that's happened over the last couple of months, I think it's just like reminded us that even though we think we're in control, we're not. But what I love too, is that God always fulfills his promises and he's faithful, but it doesn't always look like what we think it will. Yeah. And so it's easy to get caught up in your own story and your own disappointment when really like he's always going to do what's right for you and he mm-hmm. knows you. Right. And so if you think negative, then you're going to miss out on what he's trying to show you. Yes. And so if you trust in him and you fully trust that he's going to show up, it might look totally different and it might mean removing someone or something from your life, but he's always going to put something better in its place. Yeah. 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 That's a good word. Okay. So back to the, um, Issues with food. What is being bulimic? Uh, so it's binging and purging. So you'll eat a lot of food, like way, way over the limit. And it's usually like eating really quickly and things you wouldn't normally eat, usually a lot of like carbs or sugar. And you're just like eating yourself until you're overly full. And then you make yourself throw up. Mm. Really glorious. Like like, <laughs> like right after or yeah. later on? Or? It, it depends. I would do okay. it right but after. Not like the next day or anything like no, that? No, like right. Yeah. I see. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I honestly, I, I had been a dancer and a cheerleader and I had heard someone else on my cheer team had been doing it. And, uh, and it really wasn't, I never thought I was fat. I never wanted to lose weight. It was literally just the one time that I just felt like I could tune everything out in my world. Mm. Um, and I was by myself and my world was quiet because everything in my life felt loud. You know, the divorce and the messiness of that and my brother's pain, my mom's pain, my sister dying, like everything just felt loud. And so the one time that I just felt like I could just close down because when you're binging and purging, you're by yourself, right? Like Mm -hmm. you're not with a bunch of people doing it. You're alone. And I I felt like it was my safe place in a really messed up way. Um, But it was, and I, I would breathe and I would... I could just be quiet. Yeah. How is uh, being bulimic different from being anorexic? So anorexic, uh, I think there are different forms of it. A, you can have exercise anorexia, I believe it's called. It might be called something different, but um, that's just where you over-exercise all the time. And then anorexia, you don't eat or you eat very small portions, calorie counting, which I kind of, I from what I had gathered with myself and a lot of people that I've spoken to have had eating disorders, you kind of flow through all of them until you can find your way out. Um, because you know, you want to stop binging and purging. So then you think you're going to stop eating and then you end up being starving. So then you binge. And then sometimes like for me, 
my eating disorder kind of went on for years and it would stop and flow, but really I, I didn't want to throw up anymore. So I got stuck in just the binging aspect. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really looking back, like if I had been meditating and actually breathing, I think I wouldn't have done it, but I think that was the only time that I just was breathing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I felt like I could control, you know, and it was like a treat to myself. I don't, it was just, yeah. So I kind of like flowed through all of that over a course of many years. Did you put on a lot of weight when you just were doing the binging thing? I didn't. Um, I, I exercised all the time and, um, was dancing and, uh, so I didn't, but, um, my stomach was definitely not happy. So I've had Mm -hmm. to do a lot of gut healing from that. Uh, cause just the, the toll that that takes on your body um, is just tremendous. But yeah. Yeah. I've had a lot of gut healing this uh, year. Last year was a very difficult year. Um, We had, well, just related to business and work and things. And um, I was, I don't know if it was an eating disorder, but I was eating like, you know, pretzels and chips and junk food in the evening, like pretty much every night. Yeah. Way too much. And, um, what helped me a little bit kind of to, to get, I think what was maybe a little bit of a savior was at least I was like doing intermittent fasting at that time. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't eat until the afternoon. Mm-hmm. I feel like that helped a little bit because yeah. looking back, honestly, how I ate in 2019, I'm surprised that I didn't get in a worse, you know, worse shape. Mm-hmm. Um, so this summer, the goals were this spring and summer, really the goals were get my uh, gut healthy again mm-hmm. and get back in shape again and be more active and you know, all that. So, I feel like I'm on that process of like healing the gut from the damage that I have done more yeah. recently to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the eating disorder. So is there, is there a particular personality type that if they encounter very difficult situations are more prone towards eating disorders or is it just sort of like it comes and finds whoever it wants to kind of randomly? Do you know what I mean? Like cer- certain people would go through a difficult situation and might do something different, like go on hard drugs or, um, you know, go into depression or something. But but um, but then some people have this issues with eating disorders. Is there certain types of people or personalities that you've seen that are more prone to like going into an eating disorder? I don't, you know, I don't know. Uh, It's been a lot of different, like the people I've talked to or coached or come in contact with. I think it's a lot of different people because it's interesting because some people go into eating disorders because they have body image issues. And then some people go into eating disorders because it's a way to numb, right? We all numb in life, whether it's Mm -hmm. drugs, alcohol, food, what sex, whatever else it may be. And so um, it's, I, I'm not sure. And that's something that's actually, I've talked about with my husband too, cause I'm just curious. Um, it, yeah, I'm curious about it too. And I, I'm not yeah. sure. I'm not sure the answer to that. Yeah. 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 Okay. So let's pick back up there. Um, you're at what age now as you're dealing with the bulimia? Uh, end of junior year. Um, and this was really interesting. This is not a story that is on there. I don't think I included it in my website other than maybe I touched on it, but I had two best friends at boarding school. I lived with one of them. My other friend had come with me to school and, um, we were so close. And so my junior year, when I actually had the eating disorder, no one knew, um, but, uh, when I came back from summer, I was really thin because I lost a bunch of weight. I was probably like 85 pounds at that point as a senior 
in high school. And, um, and so I was obviously really tiny, but I had been working all summer to put weight back on. But when you're that tiny, it takes a lot mm-hmm. and you have to be really diligent about it. Cause I still wanted to be active, right? I had done all this damage to my body and I was like, I want to put weight on, but I want to do it the right way. I don't want to put on, I don't want to eat a bunch of junk food and then, and then not like myself. And then I go back through that cycle. So I really wanted to be intentional. And, um, my mom had really, I'd lived with her that summer and she had just been cooking for me and just like re-showing me how to eat healthy and what that looks like. And um, and how to do it the right way because um, it was interesting actually what had stopped this which they didn't include there but my mom and I had a conversation that summer when I was so tiny and she had said to me I don't want to lose another daughter oh whoa and uh, and because I was I mean I was so thin and I was just you're on a path and it happens so quick because your body can't function your hormones aren't functioning at that point um, you know I was always freezing my hair was falling out it's just your body you're not mm. giving your body nutrients mm-hmm. um, and so it's like slowly draining life out of you um, not only physically but just emotionally too. You know, I I was a shell of a person Mm -hmm. at that point. And so that kind of woke me up. Right. And I was with her all summer and I was like, okay, I'm going to turn this around because this isn't worth it. And, Mm -hmm. and I don't want, I can't imagine doing that to my parents. So I'd really worked hard all summer, but I was still very thin. And coming back to school, you're in high school, people are mean. And so people were very judgy. And uh, and I was constantly counting my calories to make sure I was eating enough um, because I had a set thing that would make sure I wouldn't lose any more weight. And it was so I was gaining weight. But I had to be diligent because you know I wasn't that hungry all the time to be eating as much as I needed to. And so I was constantly just keeping up with it. And I remember my two best friends came in uh, to the room one night and they said, that they couldn't watch what I was doing to myself and I was a you know a danger to myself and they couldn't be part of it and they couldn't be my friend anymore. And so my roommate actually moved out and moved in with my other friend and my entire senior year they would walk past me in the hallways and not even acknowledge me. And I mean these people were my <sighs> best friends. I lived with them. My one friend I had begged to come to boarding school with me from North Carolina. And uh And it was just like, I wasn't there. I didn't exist. And uh, actually I got my leadership positions taken away. And uh, because of them, I had to go get weighed every morning. And I was threatened to be kicked out of school if I didn't keep my weight. And I had to talk to a therapist and somehow people thought I was like mentally unstable. And I was like, look guys, like I'm fine. I've been through a lot, but like I, I'm not, you know what I mean? Like I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm fine. And, uh, and that was my first encounter actually with therapy and I hated it. Hmm. Because uh, I felt uh, at least who I saw that it was she was trying to category categorize and diagnose me, hmm. and I wasn't interested in that. Right, I'm not interested in living in the past. I've already lived there, and I've been living there, which is what got me in the situation. So I want to move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my mom thankfully got me out of that, so I didn't have to. But my senior year was really really challenging um, because all my friends who were my friends were no longer my friends. And at our boarding schools, there's a lot of tradition for being a senior. You can go to certain places that other grades can't and there's just a big tradition school and uh and so just that was taken away from me um so that was really hard and thankfully I met um someone who I had danced with we had been friends we became best friends and she was in my wedding and her name's Emily. She's still one of my diehard friends and we became close. And so now looking back, I see that that made room for that friendship, which is just, it's just so beautiful. But my senior year was really hard and it really changed me as a person because it really shut me down. Yeah. I mean, it would have to, I just can't imagine, um, man, guys can be hard on each other, but man, girls, I feel like they have the ability to be mean. just so mean. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine being in a boarding school with two of your best friends and and them not being your 
friend and ignoring yeah. you in the hall. I mean, I just can't like, it's, it's hard to wrap your mind around the, well, first of all, how you get through something like that. And then second of all, how that doesn't just scar you for life, because what's particularly difficult is that reinforces your story that everyone or everything that you love leaves you. Like that's yep. a massive reinforcement of that story. And that's yep. very bad. Yeah. And it made me feel like an outcast. Like I felt like a like I was just an alien walking around. And, you know, like we were young. And so I sometimes I think like, well, I'm not going to tell that story because I never like want to offend them. But I'm like, that is a huge part of who how I became who I am today. Right. And, you know, people are young. And I think that's what's so hard about being young is you just don't know. And sometimes you do things and I had actually spoken with one of the girls years later and she apologized and just said, you know, we were so young and it got out of hand so quickly and I didn't know what to do to fix it. Um, But yeah, so even entering college, I was really shut down. I felt like an outcast. I didn't speak much because I felt like people would be judging me. Um, And I was on my college cheer team, dance team. Like, you know, I was a a big face of the school, of the spirit program. And, but I didn't really go to a lot of parties. I kind of kept my distance. I was very quiet and quiet and um, just something I had never been in my life. I've always been a person that like I'm blunt and I speak my mind. And um, even growing up, my mom loves to tell the story, but uh, I used to dance and it, when I was done I was done like if I had done enough practice and I felt I was good I would tell my teachers like nope I'm done for the day thank you and my teachers <laughs> used to hate it but I was like I know my limits like I'm good and then yeah. I'd go out on the stage and I'd rock it but I'm not gonna you know like I know myself and so I have no problem speaking up for myself but I did like I just became this different person And I think uh, after everything that had happened and then my senior year, it just really shut me down to a point that I didn't know how to come out of. And I didn't, uh, I, yeah, I, you know, I had amazing friends in college, the best college experience. And each year um, I started to grow even more in my sophomore year into my junior is really where I came back to my faith. I had kind Mm -hmm. of, when everything was happening in high school, I just couldn't imagine that there was a God that would allow this to happen. And so I was just angry I was angry at everybody and everything. Um, and, you know, anger is really just a facade for hurt and pain, but anger is easier to be than uh, just in pain and sad. Yeah. Um, and so I, yeah, I was just angry all the time. And and finally, uh, my sophomore into junior year of college with my dance team, we had a Bible study. And so I started kind of going back into that. And that's really when I started for the first time looking at what is forgiveness and what oh, does that wow. look like, yeah. which has served to be a super powerful um just thing in my life and that I've carried through and that has allowed me to heal so much of my past, um, forgiving other people, forgiving myself, um, you know, forgiving what I did to my body and, and, and knowing that I'm, uh, forgiven by my body and by other people as well. And, um, you know, in my pain, I'm sure I hurt other people as well, you know, hurt people, hurt people. So, uh, it's, Yeah. So it was just a lot of forgiveness that had to be done. And I started with just forgiving my parents and that whole messy situation that, um, you know, they weren't doing it to hurt us or to spite us or because of us. Um, It's their own journey. And I totally respect them and I want them to have exactly the life that they believe that is right for them and whatever that looks like and what's aligned with their highest good. Um, But I never would have gotten there without um, A, getting back just into my faith and... um, 
and just into forgiveness mm-hmm. and and not only with people I know but just offering that space for people cuz I I think that's it's really underused the power of forgiveness. Yeah. Um and so just holding space for people to have forgiveness for whatever they need to. Yeah, for sure. It's it's forgiveness or bitterness. I mean, yep. there doesn't seem to be many other options with that. That's nope. a, that is the thing. I mean, it's and the Bible talks a lot about forgiveness, you yeah. know, so it shouldn't be a surprise to us that it's so, as necessary as it is. Yeah. But, um, well, it seems so simple. Right? Yeah, it's like, it does. And I think people get caught up in like, well, they're not apologizing, but forgiveness, it's, you know, it's not for the other person, it's mm-hmm. for you. And it's the only thing that's going to set you free. Yeah. It's the only thing. It's true, but it's, you just, before you've like experienced true forgiveness, you just feel like you can't let that go. You know what yep. I mean? You feel yes. like you can't let that go and truly forgive that and move on because I don't know why that is. Like maybe in some way you feel like you're going to lose some power over that thing or yep. some say over what happened and, and, and maybe hopefully in some way by not forgiving, like the universe will treat them, like they'll get what was owed to them, you know, Mm -hmm. because you haven't forgiven them yet. And if you truly forgive them, then they're just going to get away scot-free and you don't have control over it. There's no power anymore. And all you got was the negative, you know, impacts of their actions. And now they've gotten forgiveness and that doesn't seem fair. And, but when you're in that state, it's, it is really a state of bitterness, whether we like to admit it or not. And bitterness is just cancerous, you know? So, but it becomes part of your story, like not forgiving someone and holding that becomes part of your story. And so I think there's some fear in like, if I forgive them and I let that go, who am I without that? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Now, when you were walking through this forgiveness, um, was it, specific and, and like, like where you put, you know, I don't know, had a particular prayer or, or, or in therapy or just on, on your own kind of a process where you kind of wrote through or something where it's like a little bit more official sort of forgiveness, or was it just more like the way you were thinking over that period of time and in your prayers and in your thought processes and just kind of a a more natural organic kind of releasing or forgiveness? Um, I think it's a little bit of both, uh, I I did write letters um, that I never sent, but I wrote what I felt that I needed to to let it go, and then I burned them and let oh, go of I them see. that okay. way. Okay. Um, and I think it really became uh, a retraining of my mind um, into how I was thinking about things and and situations and people um, and what was guiding my life versus the stories that had been guiding it for so long and the I pain see. that had been guiding my life, and so. Um, you know, I think it was a little bit of both. Uh, you know, I was still, I wasn't the only, yeah, that was really, I think that was my therapy forgiveness and just kind of working through that. Mm -hmm. And I think talking about it, I've always loved depth and deep conversations. And uh, I have a dear, dear friend, her name is Anna and, uh, she and I have always been able to have conversations and she's the one that actually invited me to that Bible study. And so we would go on walks and I felt, um, I would just share things that happened in my life. Um, but from a way that I was looking at it different. Mm -hmm. And I think in that way I was able to start processing 
the forgiveness and and retraining my brain because I had carried that pain in those stories for so long that you can't just stop those, right? It's become a habit. It was ingrained in me. And so I think the more I talked about it or thought about it or wrote about it, it was starting to become the new story and the new habit in my body. Yeah. Um, but I think there's so much power in words and in writing um, and in that pen to paper. And when you set the intention of like, I'm writing this to let this go, to get this out of me, to put it on paper. So it's no longer longer living inside because when you have so much living inside of you, it's really hard to, to have the rational side of you kind of talk you through it because it just feels jumbled. And so I think right. when you can write it down and you can see it and you can just imagine that it's just coming out of you and on paper, um, it feels like it has less power over you. Yes. Yeah. It most certainly does. There was one practice that I had heard this is a little different, but, it, but helpful nonetheless was... Like when you really have issue with someone, this was, man, this was years ago. This was before I was married. I was a teen, I remember. Um, like sometimes right, when you're frustrated with someone, write a, an email to them that you just never send and you delete or mm-hmm. write it down on, on a letter and then burn it or throw it away or something like that. And I did that a time or two over that, over that time and it was helpful. Mm-hmm. The, I'm trying to think if I have written, I don't think I've done what you have when it comes to forgiveness. Um, and you literally just took pen to paper and would write out, did you write out, here's how you hurt me, here's, you know, how I was wronged, um, this is how it kind of maybe even reinforced some negative storylines in my life, this was some of the long-term impacts, um, and even all that said, you know, I'm still hopeful for the future and I forgive you and I'm going to move on. Is that kind of the content of that letter or what did you have in there? Yeah. Uh, most of the letters I actually wrote to myself um, because I felt that I wanted uh, to to forgive myself for the way I dealt with things and to offer grace to myself for the things that I went through. Um, and so that kind of just looked like talking about what I was feeling and and writing and and revisiting those situations that had caused me so much pain. So like there are moments that I remember, like I remember the day that my dad told me that he was, you know, divorcing my mom. And then I remember the night that my friends told me they weren't going to be there and all these moments that I remember. And so I would take myself back to those moments and just kind of not relive them, but allow myself to almost talk to myself from an older state to my younger self. So writing back. Um, And then I did do letters that were, you know, just totally probably not PC and just, you know, just talking it out and just writing what I felt and just the betrayal or any emotions, but it was really focused on emotions and what it caused me to feel and how it caused me to do things so that I could start to understand why I have all these things that I do. Like, why am I shut down? I want to know what shut me down because that's the only way we can move forward because that those events caused the story that was leading my life. And so I think it was honestly a little bit of both, but I did write a lot of letters to myself. Um, more so than I did to the people that hurt me because uh, I didn't really want to waste energy on that anymore, but I wanted to give myself space um, to kind of understand and to just um, just love on myself. Yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned for, for, well, writing letters to yourself and forgiving yourself is of all the people that you had to forgive, was forgiving yourself the hardest one? Yeah, and I think, uh, I think, the anxiety that I went into a couple of years ago, I think that was partially that uh, from that. Uh, just, I think I had so much disappointment and anger in myself and uh, in the way that I had treated my body and uh, in 
And before I understood like why, like looking back, it's always so easy, right? Like I look back and I'm like, oh my God, I went through all these things so I can serve other people and help other people. And it's made me really, really strong in who I am and who God created me to be. But when you're in those situations, even a year or two out of them, it's really hard. And so I think I was just still feeling so much anger and I didn't understand like who I had become and, uh, and just how I had handled things and, you know, why I, why I dealt with things the way I did, which made me lose my friends. Like I, I just thought that I had pushed everybody away and that I had messed up all these things. And so forgiving myself for all of that was really, really difficult. And I think like loving other people can be easy. It can be hard, but I think loving ourselves is so hard because we, we judge ourselves and we look at ourselves at a much harder scale than we judge other people. And I was actually talking about this with a client the other day who really just is having a hard time loving herself. And I asked like, if your kids mess up, do you love them unconditionally? Or does it come with, you know, I'm only going to love them if they do X, Y, and Z. She's like, unconditionally. And I asked her the same about her, you know, her parents, her siblings, and her friends. And it was all unconditionally. And and same with, you know, with God, even though like God never lets us down, but sometimes we think he does, but he never does. Yeah. <laughs> and then I asked her about herself and she said, well, I can't love myself like that because I haven't done this or I don't do this, right? You know, and uh, loving ourselves is extremely hard. And that's why I'm such an advocate and so passionate about it because love Life changes when you love yourself and not when you get somewhere, not when you achieve all the things, but when you love yourself now and all your imperfections, because they're not imperfections at all. They're exactly who you're supposed to be, but it's so hard. It is so hard to love yourself. Well, it is hard. And have you found that it is harder for some personalities than others? Like I picture that loving yourself, forgiving yourself is harder for maybe more, I don't know how to exactly... Um, define this, but maybe for more driven or goal-oriented personalities, and it might be a little easier for other personalities that you know might be less driven or goal-oriented. Do you do you think it's just equally hard for everyone to love or forgive themselves, or do you think certain personalities deal with it even more? Yeah, so I think it's hard for everybody, but I think that people who are driven, type A perfectionists, uh, I think it it does it looks different um, because. Uh, that's a whole nother standard. So I think that everybody struggles with self-love, but I think the journey of what that looks like and then the journey to get there is totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, your people who are very goal-oriented, they want to love themselves once they've achieved all these things. And so they're very just like, go, 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 go. But then you have a lot of people who they're not like that. They're, you know, but they they can't get themselves out of the muck of the stories. So it's just very like, these people are go, go, go. These people are moving so slow because they're they're just buried underneath all the crap that's happened. And so I think it, I think it, it is for everybody. Yeah. I think the, the, um, I, I would assume people that deal with depression also that fleshes out differently for different people, but, but I deal with depression from, have from time to time and it is almost always like, I think it's basically every time, but almost always it is a result of basically me spiraling into, you know, that you shouldn't have done that. You're an idiot. Why do you always mess that up? Can't, why can't you do better? You know, why can't you be, you know, all of this and it just spirals. So it's a very like, it's a depression that comes from, well, it's not loving yourself, mm-hmm. not forgiving yourself, not giving yourself the amount of grace that you give other people. Yes. Um, not giving yourself the benefit of the doubt because 
quite honestly, I don't really think I, I don't feel like I have much trouble giving other people the benefit of the doubt. Like that's always been a thing, but I don't give myself the benefit of the doubt very much at all. So mm-hmm. it, it tracks with exactly what you're saying. hundred percent. So this was, this was your senior year in college so when this you started was, this process of forgiveness? It was really like end of sophomore year, mostly junior year. Um, that I would say that I went through that. Um, but you know, I, I started to forgive other people, but I still was carrying, I still, I still hadn't processed through it, all the crap that had happened. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was, forgiveness was like the first door, but I had been, you know, in my junior year of college, I was what, how old are you then? Like 20, maybe 19. So, you know, a lot of stuff had happened and I hadn't, that was like the door. The forgiveness was just like cracking open to all the crap that I had stuffed down for so many years, Um, which is really interesting working with like younger clients who have not carried the stories as long as people in their fifties have. And so it's like twice as hard sometimes to go through all the stuff to get there. But so I think forgiveness kind of just like cracked open that door. But yeah, so that was... um, really mostly my junior year um, was when that was really kind of coming about. Okay. And then um, if uh, let's pick up a story there again, if that's a, if you kind of covered that, that part. Yeah. Um, So after that, um, they're really, I mean, my story after that for a little while, I met my husband, my senior year, I had actually sworn off dating four months before I met him. I had read when God writes your love story and was like, just done with dating. And I was like, you know what? I want to do this the right way. And so I was going to take a year off. And uh, my best friend was um, a debutante. She had grown up with my husband and she was a debutante. And I went to her debutante ball and he was her marshal. So it was her now husband. And then my husband that walked her down the aisle and presented her um, at this whole thing. And so I met him there. Um, You met your now husband there. Yes. Hadn't known him before that. No. And yeah. And what is a debutante? Uh, I think it's like a coming out of a young woman to society. It's a Southern tradition. I don't really know that much about it. Um, But, you know, they walk, they wear white dress and they walk down the aisle with... I think their dad walks them and then the marshals do, or no, it's opposite. The marshals walk them down, then she walks back by herself, I think. So I think it's all about just like a young woman being announced to society. I what think age a, is this normally? Um, hers was when she was 21. Um, so, but I'm not sure if, I think that there are people that do it younger. I don't, okay. I don't know much about it other yeah. than that hmm. I knew it was a big party <laughs> and, yep. uh, and that was going to be a good time. And so, and yeah. she was my best friend. So I was like, I'm there, I'll support you. Um, so I met him there and we really didn't talk like the whole time. I thought he, when I met him in her kitchen, I felt like everything stopped and and so did he. But then the rest of the weekend, we really didn't talk except for, the last night we were there, my best friend's now husband told me that he was going to propose to her. And I was like, well, I have to tell someone so I don't tell her. So I ended up telling my husband okay. that night. And uh, But then we went our separate ways and uh, we ended up kind of talking back and forth and joking about him coming to visit me over the holidays. And he did come visit me. And uh, and then we were together on and off for there. But you know, my, my husband lost a sibling as well and comes from a divorced family. Um, and so I think, uh, my husband, he was the first person that I really ever showed up fully to love in a relationship. And I think I felt comfortable doing that because he had gone through similar pain. Um, but I think in that there was also a mess. It was a mess because we are depending on each other to fix what had been broken by other people, by events, by our past, instead of, um, coming 
healing ourselves and then coming together. And so our relationship was fierce and and passionate and beautiful, but there's also a lot of pain. You know, we'd come together for these weekends that would be amazing. And then we'd leave and all he wanted to do since he was little was be in the military. Mm. So all he cared about, he was not all he cared about, but he was very focused. He's a very focused man. And, um, and I wanted our relationship to work. And so I was pouring into it and not receiving the same thing back. And, uh, and so there was a, a lot of heartache in this really beautiful relationship. And I really felt like we were supposed to be together, but I was constantly, we were just so much pain, so many fights and, um, and then a lot of beauty in it too. And so it was very confusing. Um, and so we, we actually broke up twice, I think. Yeah. And so uh, we dated through senior year, broke up after we graduated, got back together, broke up again, were broken up for a year, and then we came back together. Um, and in that time, a lot changed. I started working for Lululemon out of college, which was really one of the most beautiful blessings for me. It's a, such an amazing company um, because it's what really opened me up to um, goals and self-development and leadership and really like this idea that you can create who you want to be. Um, it takes work, but putting the pieces together and kind of training like you train at the gym, but you're training these different muscles inside of you. And um, I was exposed to um, the landmark forum and, um, just a bunch of different leadership courses through them and led vision and goals and just really fell in love with this idea of like, if we dream it, we can have it. And just that manifestation and just the power that comes behind that. And, uh, I remember it was one December and I was sitting, um, just in a, in a wreck, like after college, I was just kind of all over the place. I was kind of partying a lot and still numbing in a way I had gone back to kind of binging and I was just drinking a lot with my friends and I've never never really liked alcohol. So, and I just felt like I was living a life that wasn't me. And, uh, I had always, always in my life kind of lived my life to impress my dad. And I really just uh. wanted his approval. And, uh, so I wanted a major that I felt like he would be proud of. And, and this is of course all me. He's always been proud of me, but I just wanted that approval. I wanted to just feel like I had earned that. And so, um, and I really spent my life living for other people. You know, if other people wanted me to do something, I would do it so they would like me instead of speaking up for what felt true to me. And, uh, and so I, after college, I was just kind of a mess. Um, and I was working for Lululemon. I had gotten into personal training, really just wanted to use that aspect, right? I had thought about my sister and I was like, well, I have this physical body and I know how to train myself and other people. So and I really fell in love with personal training. Um, but as I started to get into it, I realized that it's so much more about up here than it is about the actual yep. uh, training itself. So that is where my journey kind of switched. But um, so I was sitting on the couch, really just in a low. I think uh, my husband and I had just broken up. It was December and I was watching I'm Not Your Guru by uh, it's a Tony Robbins. Oh, that is a really great documentary. It's, it's amazing. And I remember sitting on my couch and just like bawling my eyes out. And I was like, I'm going to be at that event next year. At the time, I think I was making like $20,000 a year. So like nothing. Living in Boca Raton, which is so expensive. And I was like, and I think the events, you know, five, $6,000 or something. And I was like, I'm going to be there. Don't know how but I'm going to be there. And I felt it like in me. Wow. And, 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 and I'm not your guru is about Tony Robbins or about unleashing the power within, or is it Dave about destiny? 
Is it about Date with Destiny? Yeah, it's that event. Oh, it's his okay. Event. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so yep. UPW is like the the starting. It's okay. a th- four-day event. I've been there. Yeah, yeah, me too, so many times. And uh, and then Date with Destiny uh, is the longer, more intense. Uh, and he's it's one that uh, he talks about. He just has a lot of pride in because he created it out of a moment where I think he was really in a dark time, so he created this event. So, But I saw it, and I was like, I need all of that in my life. And so February rolls around. And my mom calls me one day, I'm at work and she's like, would you like to go to UPW? And I'm like, what? And she had met someone at, uh, she is really into self-development. Both my parents are, which has also been really cool for me as I've gone on that journey because it opened up all these different ways to speak and to start understanding everything that had happened. And she had met someone who had an extra ticket and was willing to give it away. And she was like, my daughter would love to go. But it was in California. It was like a week and a half away from when she called me. And I was like, I had never flown that far by myself, stayed by myself in a hotel. But I was like, I have to go. Like, even if I lose my job, I'm going. Yeah. I'm going to be at this event. And uh, and I went. And uh, the first day, I kind of didn't play full out. You know, I wasn't dancing. I was really focused on what other people were thinking. Were you by yourself? By myself. You went to UPW by yourself? In California. And yeah. what year, by the way? I was there. What year was that? I went to date with Destiny in 2018. So I think it was seven, 2017. 2017 in uh, L- LA? Uh, yeah. Okay. So I think yeah. we went in 15 or so. Yeah, yeah it okay. was 17. It was 17. Uh, oh, wait. I went to date with Destiny in 17 and a 17 before 18. I think. I don't know, too many years, but yeah. yeah. So I was there and I flew out by myself. I remember I got in really late and I was just like, what in the world did I just do? Like I'm in the middle of LA by myself. It's like midnight. I don't know anybody here. I'm at this event. But I also remember sitting there and being feeling for the first time in my life so free and so empowered that I had done that, right? Like I had gotten on that plane and I'm by myself across the country from everybody that I know. And I'm doing it for me. And that was the first time that I'd really done something for me and that I just felt so much, I just felt driven. Like I knew that's where I was supposed to be. And uh, it was one of the most eye-opening, just like, oh my gosh, I loved that experience. Um, And it was the first time that I had told myself that I love myself, you know, the last day where you do that final meditation. And I remember saying to myself, they tell you to say your name and then say, I love you. And I had never once used my name and then said that I love you after it and really had never just said to myself, you know, I tell people all the time, like if I love them, I'm going to tell them, but I never tell that to myself. And I just remember sitting there sobbing. And I remember, um, I had hooked up with, uh, a a couple people, you know, you meet people Mm -hmm. and then you just kind of stay with them for the rest of the event. And I just remember standing next to them and just bawling my eyes out, not because I was sad, but because for the first time I just felt like I had just given myself this gift that nothing else in life feels that way. Like it's just, there's no way to describe it. Yeah. They, he does such a good job at that event. That's the only Tony Robbins event that I've been to. And I still love to go to conferences and events. I mean, it's one of my favorite things. There's there's something about energy, about being around other people that you just really can't replace and you can't do it on zoom either. It doesn't work, but but what's fascinating about Tony Robbins um, is that he is, um, and this is something where, where like I like to read, whether it's philosophy or read, read people that are that are not believers and they have value too. Like that's from it's still from God. It's it's from God's common grace. And Tony Robbins, I actually don't really know where he falls spiritually, but um, he is so gifted with understanding human behavior yeah. and the science 
neuroscience, basically, that goes behind his events is yeah. amazing. Amazing. Everything from how long is the event, when it starts, the time of day that it starts, yep. how late it goes, yep. the temperature in the room, yes. the music that plays exactly when, exactly how loud, mm-hmm. the the speakers he has he has on. I mean, it's because again, UPW was the only Robbins event that I've ever been to. And there are still, I remember that the, the thing that I remember the most is, um, it was probably like the second or the third day. I mean, they, and they, he understands like, it's just like great music. Like it takes you on a journey and he understands mm-hmm. how to take people on a journey over yep. a multiple day, which yep. you would even know more about with date with destiny, which I can't wait to hear about. But even with UPW, I think it was like a five or $600 event. And, um, so he, and he'll take you on this journey and on the second or so day, third day, maybe the, there was just this, this, uh, practice of, I think we even did some breathing exercises and then it was like, like writing down, what do you love? What do you hate? And then some other things. And, but it was like, he had the crowd like worked up, like you're yelling this. Mm -hmm. And I jotted, I think he had, I think he had, I know he had us jot it down, but I, I am always like a voracious note taker. And I still come, that was 2015, I believe. And I still go back to my Evernote on that occasionally Mm -hmm. and just look at, at that point in time, what did I love and hate and some of those things? Because it has been a fairly consistent, um, it's, it's been true since, yeah. you know? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so, and I like that. That's what, what I like about journaling is because I can't always trust my thoughts in the moment, yep. but if I can look back over 10 year or five year or three year period of time um, and look at some of the common like threads over those periods of time or what did I think then and on a particular issue, you know, five years ago, more recently, last year, this year, then it sort of reinforces my thinking about what I might plan to do next, you know? And so UPW was pretty instrumental with putting a very significant stamp in time on my life with, uh, with a lot of those things really. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That I, I still think back to my first event. I've uh, been to three and I've crewed. Wow. I've crewed two um, and just UPW events. And then I've been to Business Mastery and Date with Destiny now since. Whoa. But oh, I, wow. Yeah. I was, in, how, in what year? In like a three year period of time? No. I went to all those events um, in like a year and a half. And then Business Mastery, I just went to this last January. But yeah, I, I was like, wow. I think for the first time I had felt alive in my own skin. Yeah. And I think for the first time I felt the power of what it looks like to actually consider um, and work through what your stories, your limiting beliefs, what had happened in a way that's going to push you forward and not just keep you keep you stuck. You yes. know, and I had I just felt so empowered, and I just needed to be around that to push me forward. Yes, uh, Andrew, can you pull something up there? Pull up, um, pull up. I think it's Laura Benanti. Does that name ring a bell? No. She's an actress. Okay. Let me see if I... Google Laura Benanti, Andrew. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. So Laura Benanti, she is an actress. Uh, she's received five Tony Award nominations, blah, blah, blah. Okay. My point is she's a somewhat of a famous person. So this is LA. So this is on the way home from U- UPW. And I came home... Late Saturday night, I feel like, unless I have the days wrong, but I know I didn't stay for the last day. Okay. And um, 
I mean, I am jazzed up because keep in mind, I love events to begin with. And this was, this was, it was, it was, again, it was a pretty significant stamp in time. It was, it was very helpful. And when I get in a creative state, like I, you know, have ideas and stuff. So I am on, well, first of all, I'm, I'm in the uh, Southwest. So standing in line and here's this, uh, you know, like not middle-aged younger mom with a girl who looks like, I don't know, she's probably five, six years old or something like that. And, um, she asked me, I think where I stood in line or something like that. And I didn't pay much attention. We just had a friendly exchange and I'm on the plane flying back to Nashville late on this, this night coming home from the UT, UPW event. And I had this idea for, uh, basically a, what would be a franchise that would involve like a, a, um, like dancing for families. And mm. so it would be like community driven, it would be good exercise, yeah. but it would be a great like thing to do as a family. And then the side benefit is like you can learn dance, which is cool too. Yeah. And I'm not a dancer, but I mean, when the music's playing, you have to be moving. You yeah, know what I mean? Absolutely. Like that's just, and there's really nothing <laughs> greater than like playing great music loudly and dancing with your family. You know, that's or your kids. It's just, it's great. So I'm writing this thing out. I, I still have the Evernote right here. And it's like three or four pages of um, like the business model. And, um, and, uh, I'm thinking about like who the target market would be, who the demographic would be. And it occurs to me that, um, that lady who I had that brief exchange with in ticketing line is basically the demographic. And so I take my notebook back to her and, um, and just gave her the notebook and was like, Hey, you know, if you don't mind, um, read over this and let me know what your thoughts are. Yeah. So she did, and I still have her handwritten, like she circled a couple of things and wrote a couple of things, but I noticed like when I went back to her, she seemed a little bit taken aback, which anyone's going to be if this weird stranger walks up to you on an airplane, hands you a notebook and is like, Hey, can you read this and give me your thoughts? Like, of yeah. course, you know? Um, but, um, she was very gracious and, um, and so she she wrote down some thoughts and her and she thought it was a great idea and she she said um, she said the name of someone in Nashville that I should connect with who was kind of an entrepreneur as well and just mentioned that like she and her husband and their kids like occasionally like dancing in their home too around music and whatnot in the kitchen like it's it's great so um, for whatever reason I was on Twitter the next day and as it comes to find out I pitched. Laura Benanti <gasps> on my franchise oh my dance gosh, idea. That is amazing. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I didn't follow up um, with her <laughs> because it's like, well, if that actually, if that idea came to fruition, I need, I should have followed up with her relatively quickly and had her be like a brand ambassador or something, yeah. you know? Yep. Um, so anyhow, that's my UPW story. Wow. Back to, back to though your, um, your experiences. Um, I'd like to, at some point, I'd definitely like to hear more about date with destiny and even yeah. the business one too. So maybe now's as good a time as any to hear back on that. But then I definitely want to keep picking your story back up. Yeah. So um, went to UPW and then I crewed, which is just an amazing experience because you're getting to serve people and watch them through that experience, which is just 
uh, it takes it to a whole other level because you're listening to things and you're in the room or you know you're around it again. But now you're having to step up another level to show up for other people to support them through this process because you know it's a lot. It's a big emotional event. This whole thing. So um, I absolutely love crewing, and I met two people at that event who were crewing with me, and uh, and we just really hit it off. And um, I remember after the event, we were on our way um, up the escalator, and the whole event we had talked about date with Destiny because one of the um, the male who was with us, the guy that he had been to date with Destiny was like, you guys have to go. And I was like, great. I love it. But I make $20,000 a year. Like, where am I going to do this? And this was in July. And uh, I remember at the end of the event, we were going um, up this big escalator and, uh, and we we were talking about like, okay, are you guys going to do it? He asked us like, are you guys going to step up or are you going to do it? And we kind of just looked at each other and we were like, oh, crap. Like we're going to do this. Like we have to do this. And so we decided and we made him, we were like, okay, if we're going to step up and do this, like where are you stepping up in your life and going to show up bigger? And so he made a commitment as well. And so I remember going home after that event being like, how am I going to pay for this event? But I have to go. I, ha- I have to be there. I said I would be there. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure it out. And I know it's what I need. Um, and so I remember just to pay for the event, I had to, um, to get my first credit card of my own. And it was my first experience of really starting to understand that uh, you have to invest in yourself. And and there's so much power when you do. Um, you know, it's great to serve other people and you have to do that. And you have to serve yourself so you can still show up for other people. And so that was my first experience of like, this is a lot of money. And I don't really feel like I deserve to do that for myself. Mm-hmm. And if someone else uh, asked me to do it for them and they needed it, like I would find a way. And so it was kind of one of those moments for me that uh, was another choosing myself moment and and kind of empowering me to stand up for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I found a way to do it and um, I showed up in... Uh, that is my favorite event. There's oh, really? nothing like it. It is so intense and it is so, I mean, you go into detail about everything. You look at your values and you write like values that you have had that you don't want to have anymore, a new set of values and you're meditating and you're crying and you're, you go through all these different exercises and I don't want to ruin it for anybody that hasn't gone, but it is, it is the best money. One of the best money that I've spent yeah. in my life. I don't know how to properly say that, but it <laughs> places was, you can throw your places. money. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I came out of that event, a different person, even through the days, like, uh, a couple of my friends that had been with me. So we, I had committed to go with a couple of people, but we were all in different points in the event. And that was one thing that I had been told by someone, like, if you go with people, you know, don't sit with them. I have heard that. Yeah, because it it changes your experience because if you know people and you've been showing up as some way for these people, change scares people, first of all. And also you are going to be worried about their emotions and how you show up for them and all those sorts of things. And so it kind of hinders your experience. And so we sat, I mean, at all opposite sides of the room. Um, Were you with friends? I was with the two people that I had met at the last event. Oh, that's cool. And then I had seen people that I had met at my other events there as well. I see. Okay, but you all sat away from each other and if you go with a spouse you really should sit apart right they want you to or do they want you sit together if it's a spouse so I actually took my husband that was what we did for our honeymoon and uh, we went to UPW but we sat separately totally on opposite sides of the arena for UPW Mm -hmm. and if you were to go to date with Destiny together same thing yep separate yeah I think there's so much beauty in um, being able to just be there for yourself and give yourself space 
in whatever your process looks like. Um, because what you're dealing with at those events, you're going through stories and events and things that have happened that have shaped your life. And for you to be able to fully process them, if you're doing that worried about what other people think or worrying about someone else, you're not going to give yourself the grace or the space Mm -hmm. to show up for yourself. And so, um, yeah, even if I took a friend, anybody, I would not sit with them. Um, and as a service to myself and as a service to them as well, um, because it's so it's intense and and if you're not totally in it you're not going to get it and so it you really just it's such a safe space in there yes um and so you do you want to do everything to keep that safe space for mm-hmm. everybody and uh, i think there's so much insight that comes from talking to people who don't who aren't with you every day yes totally um, agree especially as you're trying to shift and change and into who you want to be. Um, if you're with people that especially like sometimes it's really hard for people that are that close to you to see you change because it brings out fear. Like, well, what if I can't change with them Mm -hmm. or who is this person? And, um, and so, but you shouldn't ever, ever, ever. And I've learned this really hard way, dim yourself or change yourself to fit other people or to fit in their box or to make other people comfortable. I've spent my life until a few years ago, living my life to make other people comfortable. Mm. Um, cause I've always been intense in loud and just like, I'll talk deep. And I like, I've just always been that way, but I wasn't that way for that set of time that we spoke about earlier, really after my senior year and into college, because I felt like I didn't want to be too much for people or people couldn't handle me or whatever it was I wanted to fit in. And, uh, and now I'm totally the opposite. Like I'd rather be too much for people than fit into their box to make them comfortable. Because if I'm making other people comfortable or uncomfortable, then I'm going to force them to grow in their own way too. Mm -hmm. And, or make them think about something. Um, and, and really we're gifted this life and we were put here with these gifts, whatever they may be. And so if you're dimming that you're not only hurting yourself and, you know, it's just, it's not giving people permission to also step into who they are. Right. Um, and yeah. so date with destiny, is that one week? Is it seven days? Yeah, I think it's, I think it was uh Tuesday through Sunday. Tuesday through Sunday in yeah. Florida or where is that? I one? went in Florida. Yeah. I okay. think he does it in Australia and Florida and it was so intense. I did not sleep like barely the whole week cause I was just so fired up. And uh, at the end of the week you make this giant poster. So everything that you worked on, I mean, you have a whole relationship day and you just go into everything and you make this whole poster of your values and your mission statement and, and your relationship goals. I mean, you make this whole thing and I stayed up all night doing it. And I remember I got so sick after the event, but I think it was my body's way of just like per- all the stuff yes. that I let go of, but I wanted to... I wanted to be a part and do everything full out. And I wanted to just soak soak up everything I could about that experience and the people because you're constantly talking to different people and it's amazing to talk to different people who see different things in you. And and so you're just sharing this process. And yeah, so I barely slept the entire week and I wow. had lost my voice, but I was still screaming and yeah. <laughs> How was the business mastery? It was really awesome. It was very intense. Um especially as a new business owner it was um it was it was intense and kind of felt like i had been hit by a bus half the time okay. but so much good information okay um it's something i would definitely go back to again at different points in your journey yep. because the people, the experts that he brings in, the knowledge that he has, um, because it, you you look at still all aspects, like yes, it's business, but you're also still thinking about everything that plays into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was fantastic. It was long. Um, the days aren't as long as the other events, but it's still, I mean, it's a lot. And 
um, it's a lot of strategy and and just um, just a lot of information. But it's it's brilliant. And uh, it's more like ten grand, right, or more? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And did you use the? Um Business mastery was that for Heal Victoriously? Yeah. Or what did you have in mind for that? Yeah, it's you know uh, with Heal Victoriously, obviously you know I'm coaching now, but I just want to keep expanding and I just want to help and serve as many people as I can. So I did it. Um, a, I wanted to do it just because I wanted knowledge, right? Like okay. I just love absorbing knowledge. I'm always listening to podcasts, reading books, like anything I can get my hands on. And I feel like I'm asking my clients to invest in themselves and to grow in that. And I feel like as a coach, it's my responsibility to keep growing and to keep learning. And the better I am in my own life, the better I can serve other people. And yep. you know, we're never perfect, but I just want to keep absorbing all of that knowledge. And sure. so, yes, it was for Heal Victoriously. It was actually... My husband and I were at UPW and we were sitting on opposite sides of the um, arena and they had done the business mastery like presentation. And he, uh, my husband has always been really good with money. He had a savings account when he was like three because his parents would give him money for snacks and he would save it. <laughs> and, uh, and so, cool. yeah, he's just always been really great with money, but he's also like, I came from a family where we traveled and my parents love like food and, and cuisine and just experiencing all of that. And, and, you know, he grew up very well, but also just very different. And, uh, he wanted to hunt and spend his money doing that. You know, we just grew up different. And so he had always just like, not, he just was very cautious with how he spent his money. Very good with it, had enough, you know, and, but just was very cautious. And so he called me and he was like, you have to go. And I remember being like, what? (laughs) Like, (laughs) this is coming from you. And, and you know, it's a lot of money. It's a big, a big commitment that you look at. And then you just think, I remember when I went to date with destiny and I was making, I think it was 23,000 a year within that next year I had, I was making as a salary more than triple and had like paid off everything. And so I think when you invest in yourself and in that, it always comes back to you, whether it's monetarily or in a relationship or in an opportunity, I just think the more you value add and the more to yourself, to other people, it's always going to come back. And, Mm -hmm. um, and because I felt like what I learned, I then applied to my life right? I didn't just do it at the event. Cause I think that's the thing that's hard is like, you're at this event where you're with all these people who are thinking like you and doing these things, but then you come back in the real world where most people are not like that. That's right. And it's really hard a to hold yourself accountable and b when people are questioning you or uncomfortable with your change, it's easy to fall back into mm-hmm. that. Um, and so I think that's the beauty of coaching is that that's what I'm here for, right? Like, that's what I help people do. Like, you can go to events, go to them, read all the books, but it, having accountability and having those people. And thankfully, I had people in my life. I didn't have a, a coach at the time, but I had people who were coaches who were my friends. And so essentially, you know, we're coaching each other and constantly in it. So I applied everything to my life and I stayed really dil- diligent and just kept learning and growing. And so I was able to apply that. But um, we went to UPW. And so in that moment, I was like, I, yeah, like I have to invest in myself because yeah. if I do this, like, A, a, I I have to get my message out there. I have to help people, not for myself. I don't care about that. Like, I don't even care about money, but I want to do it because I want people to experience life in the way that I'm living, right? Like I've been through the darkness. I've sat there so many nights and in so much pain, but I also have been on the other side and I can see like life is different when you are able to sit with the pain and you're Mm -hmm. able to just be there through it and not stay in it, but sit with it enough. So you take the 
the power away from it. And mm-hmm. then you're able to feel and love and, and feel joy at such a deeper level because you're no longer numb in this like half alive, like, oh, well, I'm not really feeling pain, but then you're not really feeling joy either. Yes. And so you're able to kind of really fully experience that. And so I just want to be able to help people in that and to encourage and support people in living a life that's true to them and to using their voice. Like so many people just don't know how to speak up for themselves mm-hmm. or to, to ask for what they need. And so um, it became so much more about like, yeah, I need to invest in myself so I can understand business and so I can grow as a person, but also because I want to serve at the highest level possible. Like when I'm showing up for people, I'm not showing up at a partial level ever. Like I'm going to give you everything and I expect that in return because that's the only way you grow. And so to show up at that high level and ask that of my clients, I have to show up in that way for myself. Yeah. Did you experience the Tony Robbins events as like a like a shock to your, I guess your, what's the term for the, for the shock pads like put on people that are having like cardiac arrest or whatever? Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, did you experience that yes. as like a yes. shock to like restart your, yes. your, your person? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It really, it, it really is because it wakes you up to a life that I didn't even think was possible in a way of thinking and being that I didn't know was possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, you know, we were creatures of habit and we create habits our whole, like our life is about habits. It's how we keep going, right? Like our brains learn things. We usually get up on the same side of the bed, brush our teeth the same way, Mm -hmm. do the same thing every day. So we have these habits in daily life, but we also have these habits in our brain. And so every time that something happens in your life, it's stored in this file cabinet of all these different stories. So whether it's, you know, I'm not enough, I can't be loved. Everybody I love leaves me. I'm a loser, whatever it may be. You have all these events that are reinforcing that story. And so I think for the first time when I went to those events, it woke me up to realizing that I'm the one creating my stories and I'm the one that can change them. And if I can learn to listen for the stories, then I have power because I can create whatever I want, but I have to start with me and I have to shift that. And so it just woke me up to this awareness that I didn't even know was possible. And then also this power, like every one of us has this personal power in us, but so many of us, A, don't know how to use it or don't know that it's there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I love about self-love. It's so much more than just being like, oh, I love myself, but it's like, who are you? Like, what is this power that's in you? And it can be soft power. It can be loud power. It doesn't matter what it is, but that's in everybody. And so learning how to wake that up, it just, it changes how you experience life and it changes how you can serve other people. And I think what I love most is it's such a ripple effect. If you're kind to someone or you show up in this space that is just totally in you, then you hold space and you give other people permission to live this life like this. And so, yeah, it was absolutely a shock to my system. Every time I go to an event, even UPW, I've been multiple times, it's still a shock every time because I feel like it just kind of like, not as much as a shock as the first time, but it's just like every time you learn something else Mm -hmm. and it's easy to slide back into old habits. So it's like, it's always just kind of correcting you. And that's why I love having coaches. I have my own coaches too. Um, Most... Every good coach has a coach and I have multiple coaches and I love it because it holds you accountable to the things that you slip back into um, and the ways of thinking and the just all of that. Yes. So that was recently, two to three years ago. Yeah. Yes. And you mentioned earlier so the, the maybe the website came out two years ago or something. More of your story came out two years ago or a couple of years ago and you had friends that actually didn't even know until some of this information was coming out yeah. that you had lost a sister and some of those things. Yeah. Um, 
Did we cover the period of time though up until that kind of that turning point a couple years ago? Um, no. So I think the biggest actually turning point that happened was um, after Date with Destiny. So this was... I guess like over two years ago now, um, I started actually while I was going to the Tony Robbins event having really bad anxiety. And I start, I'd never had panic attacks before in my life. And I started getting random panic attacks and just kind of feeling that anxious feeling all the time. And uh, and it just progressively started to get worse and worse. And I ended up leaving Lululemon because I just felt my time there was done, but I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. And I um, ended up working for a friend's company, her father's company. And uh, I was working in the roofing industry and I was there uh. for six months. And uh, she's one of my dearest, dearest friends now and an amazing family, such a great company. Um, but the desk life is not for me. And uh, I was for the first time sitting still all day long and with my thoughts, mm. which is a terrifying thing if you don't know what to do with them. And, uh, and so over the course of the time that I was there, my anxiety was getting really, really bad to the point that I was constantly in panic attacks all day. And then to the point where it was waking me up at night, I would wake up literally first time it happened. I thought I was having a heart attack. And uh, so it kept getting progressively worse. And this was right before I was supposed to move to Nashville. And so here I'm thinking like, I've done all this work, like I've got my stuff together, but I'm having all these panic attacks. So obviously like I'm missing something. And um, when my husband came back for me, the night that he came to the house, that was uh, the first night I woke up in the middle of the night with panic attacks. And, uh, and so it just started getting worse. I mean, I started getting more afraid of everything. I was constantly living in my head. Like it was so paralyzing. Like I was afraid to drink water. I was afraid of getting dehydrated. I was afraid to eat all these different things. I mean, like I was just like in another like state of living. And I remember, um, I would wake up in the middle of my night in the night. My mom was so wonderful. I was, instead of sleeping in my room, I started sleeping with her because I felt like it calmed me down a little bit. And I would get up in the middle of the night and I would start playing songs. And there's a song, um, called Where Were You? And it's from a movie and it's by Francesca. And I don't know her last name, but it's a Christian song. And, um, I played it one night and it's the story of the footprints in the sand. And, uh, but it's this, she starts saying like, where are you? Like my life is falling apart. You say you're there, but like, I don't see you. And I felt that so true. And I remember one night I was listening to it and I just over and over and over was playing it and just sobbing because I just didn't understand. And, um, I remember there were nights that my mom was like, I'm going to have to take you to somewhere to get help if you don't figure this out. Because I would wake up and I'd be like, my heart was racing. I'd be like, I'm having a, a heart attack. I'm unhealthy. Like I started having hypochondria. Like I just like thought everything was wrong with me. And I remember just sitting there and I, she was like, I was like, I'm not going to go on medication. Like I just remember one day I came home actually from work, really anxious. And I had stopped working out through this period because oh, okay. working out freaked me out because it made my heart race. So then I felt like it was going to just shift me into another panic attack. Oh, wow. And so working out had always been something in my life that I had done, and but I was afraid of it. I was afraid of everything. And um, I remember coming home one day and I was angry. I was so angry that... Uh, that I was living like this and that I didn't know how to stop it because everything in my life I had been able to kind of piece together and figure out what was happening and I just felt lost. And I remember um, I started listening to incantations that I recorded of myself at Date with Destiny and I went for a run and I was screaming them because I remember Tony Robbins talked about a story where he was yelling on the beach like these incantations just running and I did it. And I was literally like, people thought I was crazy. They were looking at me because I was running through my neighborhood screaming and just like running and crying. And uh, I remember I got home because I, I was so mad that I couldn't sleep at night and that I was afraid of everything. And I got home and I was like, no more. 
No more. No more. There's a reason this is happening. I'm going to get to the bottom of it. I'm not going to, I'm not going on medication. There's nothing wrong with medication if you need it. But I, I was refusing. I was like, I'm going to figure this out. And so I just started doing research and research and research into what anxiety is and, and panic attacks and, and really like the root of that. And, um, and healing myself every day. I mean, I would meditate for hours every day. I would get up early to do it, to sit with it. I was journaling. I was reading. I was listening to podcasts. I mean, I was just doing research into like the actual science in the body and how like half of your brain shuts off when you go into a panic attack. So you don't have the rational brain and how to reactivate that and um, just the gut health and how that play. I mean, like I did so much research. So I wanted to find my way out because I was like, life does not have to be this way. It does not. And uh, what I've learned now, and I actually love anytime I feel anxious now, I love it because anxiety is just like a warning bell. It's like a fire alarm. It's just our body's way of saying, hey, something's wrong. And I think that I was so anxious because I had stuffed so much down in me and not said it, not felt it, not experienced it. You know, like I had gone through all these things in my life and done things to process it, but I hadn't fully processed it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as much as I thought I had, there was still so much there and, um, I had always wanted to be the strong person for other people and, you know, putting other people first. And so I never wanted to break down or look weak. And, um, I had really stopped crying for a lot of my life and just kind of like, didn't want to do it in that. And so there would be days that I would literally just cry, but it felt so healing because I was just giving myself permission to just sit with feelings. And, uh, I learned that um, the best thing to do when you're having a panic attack is to move really slow. And because it, it, when you have a panic attack, your body's in fight or flight, right? Mm-hmm. So when you have a panic attack or a constant anxiety, you've basically trained your brain into a constant state of worry. So it's no longer just something you do. It's like, this is a habit that your brain has. And the more you do it, the stronger it is. And so you just want to break that habit. But the thing, Panic attacks, the more you do it, the stronger it becomes? Well, it becomes a habit because oh, your body learns... Mm. Your body stops being able to recognize signals. So in in the past, like when our ancestors were there, the fight or flight response was there because they were actually in danger, right? Mm -hmm. Like they were being hunted by saber-toothed tigers. So there's a reason why they are getting anxious so their body could get in fight or flight so they could run to save their life. But now we have that response and we're not actually in danger most of the time because our bodies can no longer determine what's actual danger and what's not. And that's where you cross over into that state of anxiety where it's becoming constant because Mm -hmm. your body can no longer shut down the fight or flight response. So you're living in it. Mm -hmm. We think on average, like 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. So if you're not in control of those thoughts, if you think of 80,000 thoughts a day and they're mostly anxious, how do you think you're going to feel? Yeah. That's crazy when you put a number on it. I've never heard a number on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. 50 to 60 to 80,000, somewhere in that range, I think, depending on how long you're up and all the things. Mm -hmm. But yeah. So if you're not controlling what you're thinking, that's a really scary thought to think about. Yeah, for sure. And then when you start to have panic attacks, panic attacks are scary. So then if you're afraid of the panic attacks, then you're bringing more fear into the body. And then you're just strengthening that response that your body needs to be in fight or flight mode. So then you're in fight or flight mode, afraid of the fight or flight mode. And then it's just this constant state. So the best thing to do is to slow down because you have to train your brain to know it's not in danger. So I would ask myself, is there a lion? Am I in danger? Which sounds so simple and so stupid, but it allowed me to be like, I feel like I am, but I'm not. And then moving really slowly 
and speaking really slowly. So your body can start to realize that you don't need to be like this all the time because nothing's going on. It can start to slow down. Yeah. And it can be in that space. And then in that space, then you can start to realize, well, what's happening? You know, Mm -hmm. am I anxious because of something I'm thinking? Am I anxious because something's, you know, my gut is unhealthy or whatever in your body? Am I anxious because I'm not just feeling the emotions, right? Like, I think there's been such an interesting take on the fact of like feeling emotions. Like, you know, you're taught women are too emotional. Men are not supposed to cry. Like you're not supposed to feel your feelings. When kids grow up, it's like, okay, you can't have that meltdown right now. We're in the middle of a store. It's like all these things that we learn, like that feeling your emotions is not a safe space for that. Whether it's anger, fear, sadness, whatever it may be. And so I feel like for the first time, anxiety gave myself permission to feel those emotions and to understand that, um, Emotions are being human. You are human when you have emotions. Yes. And uh, they don't have so much power when you allow yourself to be with them and then they can shift. But if Mm -hmm. you don't, then they pile on. And that's where I believe my anxiety came from. And I think it's different for everybody. And um, there's so many different things that go into, you know, the chemical makeup of you and and how your health is and... um, but I think also it does serve as a beautiful reminder. Like if I'm feeling anxious, it allows me to stop and be like, okay, what's going on? And most of the time I just need to cry because of something that's happened or journal or meditate and just sit with that and kind of work through it um, instead of just like pushing it under the rug and yeah. doing that, which I had done for so long. And so I felt that really that phase of that anxiety is honestly what shifted me and propelled me forward into into my thoughts and into how I care for my body and um, at this whole other level um, and realizing that I have control of my thoughts, which is a beautiful thing. It's also terrifying because if you don't take control of your thoughts and you let media, social media, other people tell you what you're going to think, that's a scary life that you're living. Yeah, it's a very scary life. Was the, so the anxiety was a catalyst into sort of like, I've had enough, we're going to do things different going forward. What brought on the anxiety at that particular period of time? I think I had opened the floodgates a little bit going to those Mm -hmm. events. And Mm -hmm. so I would go to those events and really pull up a lot of stuff. And then I'd go back to my daily life and not deal with it. And I would come back to be around people who are not moving forward in life, who didn't care about self-development. And so I was a different person. So I'd go to these events and step into me. And then I would come back and be this other person. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that caused that anxiety, which was a catalyst then to really a more kind of whole change, really like a more holistic change, like the whole person change. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think you had on your website that you were on Adderall at some point. Was that pre That was in college. That was pre. Oh, that was way back in Mm -hmm. college. But I think that probably contributed to it. So like in college, you know, you're a college student. I was prescribed it and, but I loved it because it numbed me. You know, I would just not think about anything. I would just do homework. I would go, go, go. I'd be super efficient and I didn't have to feel anything around me. Hmm. And so I think I kind of became addicted to that feeling and I was never addicted to it. I didn't even take it every day, but like I love, I would look forward to when I'd be like, okay, I have to study a lot and like take it because it just like, it was another way that I didn't have to be present in my life. It was another way for me to escape. So whether it was the eating disorder or the anxiety or the, you know, the vivance or whatever it may be, it was just another way for me to 
just escape everything that was going on instead of just looking at it head on. But I didn't have the tools then. And I think that's a big reason why I became a coach is because I didn't feel like I had the tools to deal with all of this. And, um, and so I wanted to be that source for people and not everything I do is this dark and heavy, you know, sometimes we're just like working on goals because I love encouraging people to dream, but in those states where you're numb, you're not dreaming because you're just trying to survive. I had been in survival mode my whole life. And I feel like when I had anxiety, it woke me up to this other, like if I, I, cause I thought, I remember thinking like, if I can just peel this back, if I can figure out what is going on, what's causing this and what's underneath this, like I can unleash this whole being inside of me that's just been dying to come out. Like I felt like anxiety was just like my real self was just trying to like peel back the stupid layers that I had put on myself my whole life and all the masks that I had worn and everything that people had told me I had to be. I felt like anxiety was me just like pulling through the stories and the crap and all that just to like come out into myself. Yeah, that makes sense. Um Back to Adderall, which I want to touch a little bit more on anxiety, but yeah. back to Adderall, I don't know that much about it. What was it prescribed to you for? What is it generally prescribed for? And is that kind of, I know, I believe that people take Adderall when it's not necessarily prescribed because it helps them with focus or performance, so, but I don't know a ton about it. So. Yeah. I, I honestly don't know too much about it either. Like everybody in college, I think, well, not everybody, but a lot of people in college are either prescribed it or they take it. I was having a lot of trouble focusing and I remember like getting really distracted in the car and just, I just felt distracted in class. And now looking back, I like, I think I just had a distracted mind because I had a lot going on that I wasn't processing underneath the surface and I wasn't eating in a way that was supporting my body, but I was just distracted. I felt like I couldn't focus in class. I would have to like reread things over and over sometimes. And so I just like everybody was taking it. So they're like, well, why don't you go see? So I went to a doctor, took a test and they prescribed it to me. Um, and I don't believe in it now. I would never recommend it a, from what I know that it did to my body. And I think what it does, like there's no long-term positive studies on it. So, um, and I mean, like I don't even take Adderall now. I mean, Advil now, like I do not take, I don't do, I, everything is natural if I can help it. Um, but I think, uh, I think I, I, it's prescribed for, you know, ADD or ADHD. Um, I I definitely, you know, I think I had a busy mind. I'm not sure that I had either of those things. I think I just had a lot going on that I wasn't dealing with or processing. And I mean, everybody has a lot going on. We all think the same, you know, crazy amount of thoughts each day. And, um, so I just don't think I was doing anything to serve me, to slow me down enough where I needed it. And so I, yeah, so that's why. Makes sense. I have not dealt with anxiety in my life. And I guess now that I have dealt with some anxiety, I realized that that was maybe a bit of a source of pride for me. Like it's, but before I ever dealt with anxiety, it's not like I ever was like, Oh man, you never deal with anxiety. That's really good. I just never really dealt with it and just, I guess took it for granted, but uh, wound up in the hospital September of 2019. Cause I, I thought I was having a heart attack and um, that triggered something. I feel like that if I feel like it created a pathway or broke something mm-hmm. that then either caused me to or allowed me to (laughs) deal with anxiety since then. And um, so from September of 2019 until a couple of months ago, I dealt with anxiety in a way that I just never have experienced before. And it is, it's not fun and it is debilitating sometimes. Um, I mean, there was one point just, this was just a couple of months ago because I had to, 
do some work and and go to a certain place and respond to some people that kind of triggered things from the past. And uh, it was a Monday and I was here. I was sitting where Andrew's sitting. (laughs) And uh, I literally almost wound up under that coffee table over there, like in a ball. Like it was like I was having to like concentrate on breathing and just like breathe in, breathe out. Like it's going to, I mean, it was like just the what it took to like stay alive and stay here and get through the day. Like that took it, that took everything. Yes. And, um, so about 4 PM or so I finally texted, um, I finally texted a good friend and asked him to pray for me. And that, um, that just sort of broke like with the next hour. And what's weird about that is I'm always honored anytime someone texts me and wants me to pray for him but I always feel like I'm being a nuisance, you know, mm-hmm. when I ask someone to pray for me mm-hmm. and that was just a good, like, dude, you're an idiot kind of moment because it worked. That friend was honored that I asked him followed up later. And it was like, he even offered to call me and I was like, and, and this was a little bit embarrassing, but I just texted him like, I'm not really in position to talk right now. Like we can maybe talk tomorrow, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, um, he didn't feel bothered, but, uh, I think the, just back to that kind of that creating that habit or those pathways or something in your brain that got kind of resonated because I feel like I've experienced that in the last year. Yeah. You know, we all worry life is, you know, things happen and worry comes up and it's part of being human. Um, but the difference between someone who doesn't have anxiety and then people who start to develop anxiety and then a panic disorder where they start to have panic attacks often, um, it's, it's, uh, at least I read a lot of studies that it's, it becomes a habit in the brain. So, uh, you're, you do something once and then the more you do it, it basically like makes that string bigger and thicker. Mm -hmm. And that's basically like the most simple way to explain it. And yep. so if you do something once that solves a problem, then your brain knows it can go back to it. And so, mm-hmm. you know, worry if you worry like we do as humans, but then if you continue to worry and then you start to worry not only about the one thing that was happening, but then everything, and then it just starts to build and it becomes this habit. And then you just keep strengthening that and strengthening that and strengthening mm-hmm. that. And then that becomes your first reaction to something. So instead of where maybe you used to go, okay, well, do I need to worry and how am I going to solve this? Now it's become this thing where it's just like this big worry and now you're no longer thinking rationally through it. You're just worrying. Then you're worrying about everything. Then you start to stack on the worry and it just becomes this habit and then it becomes a strength and then you start to have panic attacks and then it just kind of builds from there. But what I love that you said is that you said... um, when you said that you wound up in the hospital and you said it either caused or allowed me to. And I think that what you said is so beautiful because that is the difference. Because if you can say, okay, this allowed me to open this up to have this experience. So I'm going to come out of this stronger versus like, well, this caused this and now I'm dealing with this and now my life is terrible. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like you didn't say that, but I think that's where the big thing is. But when you're having anxiety all the time, you can't always see the good and the bad and what's going to strengthen, you know, if you're constantly thinking, well, this is happening to me and my life is miserable and now I'm dealing with this and I'm never going to get out of this. This is impossible. You're going to believe that. And then that's where you're going to stay stuck. But if you can believe this is happening for me and I just have to figure out why it's happening. And if I can figure out why it's happening, then I'm going to figure out how to solve it. And I believe with everything inside me that I'm going to be able to get over this anxiety, uh, this depression, this anger, this whatever it may be. If you can see a way out, then you can start to figure out and dig your way through what's happening. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And the, 
you know, things happening for a reason. I mean, for whatever weird reason, I had gotten, I had just woke up at 1.30 a.m. that morning. It was like not tired at all. So I just went to work and I, it was, I was very productive from like 2 a.m. to like 8 a.m. And, um, and then just like the, the things just kept getting worse throughout the day. And I got home and made the mistake of Googling how to tell if you're having a heart attack. Oh, yeah. It was yep. every <laughs> single one except for stabbing pain down the left arm, but like diarrhea, uh, chills. I was in bed shaking. Uh, nauseous, dizzy. I mean, everything. Like I was, it was like at 9 p.m. And finally, Mary was like, you probably should go to the hospital. Yep. But we have five kids. So does she go with me? Right. And we call a neighbor and like, we think Kent's having a heart attack. Can you come watch our kids? Or do you take the chance and drive yourself, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was very surreal experience because I actually didn't think I was going to come home again. I actually thought I was having a heart attack. And just wow. like saying goodbye to Marianne, it was more like, I guess it was just was more um, normal than I thought it would be. Mm. And even like waiting in the waiting room, uh, I, I, I didn't, you know, I just thought like death is very close, you know? And it was just sort of like, I don't know, just sort of like a common feeling like, yeah, you might die. And this happens like people die. This is the cycle of life. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and just with dealing what we were dealing with at the time related to business, I, the truth is I kind of wanted to die. Mm -hmm. Not kind of, I did want to die. Um, and, uh, but then as it turns out, it was not that, and it was just a, a panic attack. Um, but what sort of, I guess, gave me some perspective, I think was, uh, because this got a little bit late. So at about one thirty AM, so I guess at this point I'm up for like 24 hours. So I'm in the hospital that night. It's past midnight. It's like one thirty AM, um, and by the way, emergency rooms are terrifying places. I yes. mean, it is. You don't yeah. want to spend time in there. I've, no, no, no. That's <laughs> like the only time I think I've ever been in the ER. But um, yeah, it's scary. And there was like the, either the room next to mine or the one beyond that, uh, there was like a code something or other and uh, someone was dying mm-hmm. and they like called for the paddles oh, and gosh. I could hear them paddling this person and they died. This is like one wow. thirty a.m. and I heard I overheard the doctor say something about a cocaine overdose, and the person that was with whoever died it was a lady was just wailing uncontrollably. It sounded like like it sounded like an ant. I mean, it it was awful. It sounded like an animal in a cage. Like just like she was also high or whatever on whatever drugs they were doing, and she was like out of her mind. Wow! And so that was like, all right. Three hours ago, I thought I was going to die. I wanted to die. I was totally fine with it. And um, I mean, it was sort of like the one thing that I kind of noticed that stood out to me in in that I guess the experience in some way was like there was kind of a gift there because mm-hmm. what stood out to me when I was in the in the waiting room thinking I was legitimately going to die, which sounds kind of silly now because it's just a panic attack. But but the feelings are the it's same. So Nonetheless, real. when it you're in the so moment, real. it was very, very real. Yep. And what really stood out to me was that life is like, you're going to be remembered not for your accomplishments, but you're going to be remembered for like this, like the little things, like mm-hmm. the small moments, like the everyday thing. Like that's how your kids are going to remember you. Yes. That's how your wife's going to remember you. It's not so much like what you accomplished or didn't, but it was like, yeah, dad, you know, he liked to give us a lot of hugs, you know, little things like that. We like to sit outside on a Saturday, just very normal kind of everyday things. Um, Like the little things I think is what 
kind of is the sum of your life. You know yeah. what I mean? It's not like the big accomplishments or the big things. It's like the little things. That's the sum. And you're going to be remembered for kind of more what you loved, I think, not what you did so much. Yeah. So that was sort of like, I guess that like having that insight was kind of a gift because um, then if you are super successful or you're not successful at all, well, you know, either one can be okay in a sense, as long as like you live with integrity and you live with love and you're open to those around you and you took care of yourself and your family and those types of things. Like that's what makes a man, you know, that's what makes a life. Yeah. Uh, and then just experiencing like that person dying in the room next to mine, that was a good wake up call too, because, and this was several hours later, but it's like, man, you don't, you don't actually want to die. Mm-mm. You want to go home with your family. Like that yeah. person died and that sucks. And that whoever was with that person is in an awful lot of pain right now. And, you know, if you die, your family's going to experience that. So you are given now the gift of life. Thank goodness this was a false alarm and you get to go home again. And I was just ready to go home. Like I was ready to go home and sleep. And so, yeah, but that... um there is some, there's some lessons in some of those difficult times like that. There's always lessons. And I think like, that's something that I love to normalize is those darker experiences, right? That don't feel good. Um, and you don't understand them at the time, but there's always beauty in them and you can choose to see it or you choose to miss it. Mm -hmm. And that's going to totally change the course of where you go with it. And sometimes how long you stay in it. Right. And, Um, and I think that it just isn't, people don't talk about stuff like this enough and, and give space to people and, um, and just have this be part of life. Like we ask like, how are you? But most people aren't really like, how are you? You know what I mean? And so like, I love asking like, how are you feeling today? You know, like what's really going on? Because I want space for people to do that because I know the power in having space to just speak your thoughts and to start Mm -hmm. to understand, you know, like I'm feeling anxiety, but maybe it's not because I'm anxious. Maybe it's just because something happened yesterday where I upset someone and they've been angry at me. And now I'm really sad that I said that and I hurt their feelings. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, but you, sometimes you miss all those things and, um, and, and then if you don't learn, if you just, I feel like you can miss out on so much life if you don't take advantage of the darker points, because that's where you're made, right? It's like all those cheesy things that are like when diamonds are made and everything's made like under pressure or like during all the hard times, it's like, that's where things happen. And so, um, those really can be catalysts, even though they're terrible. And for a lot of people, you know, just unimaginable, um, but you can use it for good and you can use it to serve other people. Um, but you have to serve yourself with it first. Mm -hmm. And the only way you can do that is by getting down with it, you know, like getting dirty with it and just like sitting with it and speaking about it and, and then learning to piece your way out. But in those moments of anxiety or in those times where you, you know, if you're, if something happens, someone died or you have anxiety or you're going through depression, it feels like you want to die because it doesn't feel like there's a way out. And I remember feeling that a lot of times I just, I didn't know how to find my way out. And that was so terrifying. Um, And I felt trapped in my own head, um, which is equally terrifying. I remember during the time that I had anxiety, I had an ear, um, an ear infection, the first one I'd ever had in my life. But when you have an ear infection, you can't hear. So it really puts you in your head. And I think that's honestly what really tumbled it over to, to making it so much bigger. Mm. Um, but I just remember feeling so stuck and not knowing how to get out. Um, 
and not knowing what to do. And so I, it's it's easy in those moments when things happen in life that aren't the pretty things to feel like there's I'm never going to make my way out. I'm never yeah. going to be able to get out of this. I'm never going to be able to get past this. I'll never love again. I'll never own the business again. I'll never make that money back. It's so easy to go into that mindset. Um, and so it's having the tools and, and also allowing yourself to be in it in a way that's going to allow you to push forward. But it's so hard to do that without the resources, without the support system. And, and when you're in that, you're not thinking like, oh, how is this going to serve me? You're like, this sucks. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't yes. know. Um, and if I hadn't gotten so angry, uh, that one day, I'm not sure how long it would have taken me to get out. But I, I, I think that that served me because I was like, I'm going to find why this is happening. And then I'm going to use this to serve other people. And I think I just had to tell myself that every day. And that's when I started to train my thoughts to change that. But it's, it is a, it's a terrifying place to be. Yeah. It really is. On, on, uh, anxiety. I feel like this is a common, I mean, I haven't, I'm having more conversations this year about with people about anxiety than I ever had before. And I think it's because it is more common. I think just objectively, I think that's what it is. I'm also aware of the fact that it's like, you know, when you buy a red car, it's like, oh, you all of a sudden notice all the red cars, you know, so it's possible I'm dealing with anxiety this year. I really haven't in the past and now I'm starting to notice it more. But I also think with everything that's going on with, um, you know, the virus and, politics and everything. Yes. (laughs) I feel like there is more anxiety out there. Absolutely. So what would be some of your practical tips on dealing with anxiety? Yeah. Um, even though, so meditation and, uh, I, whenever people used to tell me that when I had anxiety, I wanted to punch them in the face because I was like, I don't want to sit with my thoughts, but really, truly, um, sitting with your thoughts, you know, if you have all these thoughts going through your head all day, but you're going through the motions, you, um, you're only conscious of 1% of your thoughts. Dang. So if 1% you, of your thoughts you're conscious of? Yes, correct. That's insane. So if you are, um, and that was a stat that has been published. So if there's more research that's been published since then, that could be different, but it is, you're not conscious of a lot. So mm-hmm. uh, meditation uh, is like the gym for your mind. So you go to the gym every day to strengthen your muscles, but you have to do that with your mind as well. And so allowing meditation, it's the only time that you're still enough to start to listen to what is going on in your head. So you can start to pay attention to what's happening. So then you can take control to change what you're thinking. And meditation can look different to other, like to everybody. There's moving meditation. There's literally sitting in silence. There's guided meditation. There are so many ways to meditate, but giving your, your mind time to slow down and to just be present with yourself and your thoughts. So you can start to slow the space in between your thoughts so you can be more mindful of what's happening in your head and in your life. Um, And so meditation, um, actually when uh, the pandemic started happening, I actually started offering free meditations. I was doing them Wednesday, two times a day, just because I felt like people needed it. Um, And meditation is really hard to do if you don't know how to do it. And it's not always fun, especially if you're a go, go, go person and... um, um, and taking the time to do it. And so... Um, How are you offering it? On, on Zoom or something? Yeah, I was just doing Zoom. Okay. So I do one-on-one with people. I always use it in my 
coaching, but I also offer like one-on-one sessions for just meditating. Uh, But I just felt like I wanted to just help more people um, and just give the gift of that because that is truly one of the the best things you can do for anxiety, for anything you're going through in this crazy world that we're living in. It is the best thing that you can do. Um, And so I would say find a way to meditate, whether that's through, um, there are so many apps out there and sometimes apps can be overwhelming because there's a lot of them out there. Um, but finding an app or a person or, you know, like just finding a coach or going to meditation classes or sitting there with music or doing something. But even if it's five minutes a day, even if you start with two minutes a day and then build your way up, it doesn't have to be this hour long practice of sitting there. You know, the meditations I was doing with people are 20 minutes, Um, but really just giving yourself time to slow down. And I think just um, be aware of what's going through your head. Um, And then I think a really profound thing is journaling. And a lot of times I love to meditate and then journal. And so you're coming out of that meditation and you have all these thoughts and stuff and then you journal, but also journaling before bed, um, I think is really, really great um, brain dumping. So you just take pen to paper, you don't think about what you're writing and you just write it out. Um, And then I think also focusing on gratitude and training your brain to look for that. I think gratitude is such an underused practice. And I think like we throw it on like, oh, what are you grateful for? And it's all these different things, but it really is true because if you can start thinking every day, what you're grateful for, then you're going to train your brain to look for that. So even when a situation happens, you're going to train yourself to start to look for what you can be grateful for, what's good in the situation versus the bad. So exactly like you said, like this either caused it or allowed, that's the same thing. So once you train your brain to start look for the good, looking for the good, it's going to be easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whether that's getting up in the morning and writing what you're grateful for, or finding someone to text with or anything like that, I think having a practice of gratitude. Um, it's more than just saying what you're grateful for. It's literally being like, I think the most, the best and easiest way to meditate is to put on favorite, your favorite music, something that's calming or whatever, you know, whatever is calming to you. It could be rock music or, you know, piano, but, um, and then thinking of moments that you're grateful for in your life. Maybe it's three moments, maybe, a and Tony Robbins actually does this. Um, but you know, a moment you're proud of, um, a moment that, uh, you achieve something or whatever you want to do. And then like a moment with family or friends that you loved. And then, um, maybe just another moment that was exciting. And so sitting and not just thinking, right? Because you can sit and be like, oh yeah, well, I'm really angry right now, but I'm grateful, I guess, that the sun is shining. And then it's different to say, like to think in your head, like, oh, I remember that time at Christmas with my family and the presents were all around the tree and I felt the love of my family and the magic of Christmas. And then you start to feel it in your body. And then you're not only just thinking it, you're embodying this feeling. So then you're switching the chemicals that are pumping through your body. You're totally shifting your state of being. So you're shifting how you then approach the world. And so um, I think if you're new to meditation or you don't know what to do, um, either find someone to guide you or start with that. And if you can do that daily, and it doesn't take long, it can take one to five minutes and just really practicing, not just thinking, but feeling, because that's where it's different. Because if you're just thinking, then you're still anxious. (laughs) Because then you're still just stuck in your head. But being able to put feeling into it, that's where it shifts you. And that's where your brain starts to be able to make that change. Do you do any sort of breathing exercises in addition to the meditation then? Or do you recommend that as well for anxiety? Absolutely. Breathing is so important. I think even if you don't have anxiety, learning how to use your breath is 
key. It is total key to life. Um, I love, so one thing, so when I had anxiety, I really struggled to, to breathe out. And when you start to feel anxious, you start to suck air in because you're no longer breathing out. And I think that's why those feelings start to come up. Um, and at least I found that true for me. I found that true for a lot of people and I've read it. Um, but you just don't exhale. You inhale, inhale, inhale. Mm. And so, but sometimes exhaling can be really hard if you feel like you have a lot of tension in your body and you're, and you're worked up. And I know when I was um, having panic attacks, I would be like, am I breathing? Am I holding my breath? I can't breathe. And so um, I think breathing in through the nose and then having a longer exhale than you inhale and breathing out like you're breathing through a straw. So you go. Oh, okay. It allows you to take a longer exhale instead of just trying to be like, you know, because mm-hmm. it, it, your breath is unsteady. So really taking that long exhale and breathing out through a straw just allows you to have a longer exhale. The other um, breathing that I love is alternate nostril breathing. And if you look it up on YouTube or the internet, you can find it. But you're basically breathing in through one nostril while the other one's covered, breathing out through the other, and then breathing back in and then back out. Interesting. I don't think I've heard much about that. Yeah. So you take one finger, you'll go in, in for four, and then exhale out for six. But then you'll breathe back in through this nostril before you breathe out the other. So yeah. you go in, out, in, what out. What is the science behind that? Um, it's supposed to rebalance your brain, like wake up both sides. Again, I think um, throughout the day you breathe through one nostril. And so I think it, then it just starts to switch that back. It opens up both sides. But I think it actually balances and re-oxygen, puts oxygen back into both sides. That's of the brain. interesting. There's a ton of science behind it. Um, it just worked for me. So, and I know it works for other people. Okay. So I haven't done like all the research, but. Um, it's a bit, it's used in yoga. It's used in a lot of breathing practices, but it's really, really helpful. And it allows you to take longer, deeper breaths. I see. Interesting. Have you looked into the Wim Hof stuff at all? Yes, I have. Yeah. Do you do any of that? Um, I haven't yet. Um, I just, I haven't gotten there, but I actually just, uh, did a little more research into it and it's probably something I'll try. I'm always up for trying literally anything new, but, um, I felt I I haven't done it yet. Yeah. I keep hearing about it. I mean, I've heard about it. I mean, Tim Ferriss has been talking about it for years, I mm-hmm. feel like. And um, wasn't the connection Candace Bruder? Did, did you find out about me through Pure Sweat? Yeah. And and then uh, and then I found out about you through that as well. And uh, Candace, <clears throat> the founder and owner of Pure Sweat Sauna here in Nashville, went to a Wim Hof clinic of some kind just like a, a couple of Saturdays ago. Yes, so yeah, there's some things that. in town. Yeah. Um I just haven't looked into it yet. I feel like the my understanding is the Wim Hof breathing stuff is like a little bit more it's like the major leagues kind of yes, like it's yeah, like it's intense. He's, it's intense. Yes, yeah, he's yeah. doing it. He's taking it seriously. So I would like to look into it a little bit more as well. Yeah. Um for the person that is stuck, numb, knows that this is no life to live knows they want to get out of it, but also just feels like enough to that this feels like knowing as well. Just kind of knows know that they can't, like feel like they can't. They're stuck. They can't go anywhere. It's always going to be this way. What are your thoughts on helping them get unstuck? Yeah, that's a loaded question. Um I feel like depending on where they're at, different levels, um I would say a start meditating and journaling. I think on your own, 
those things alone can help so much. Um, even if you don't know and you don't know the purpose, just starting to do that and starting a practice that's going to move you forward can help. And um, and I would, you know, you can read all the books. And I like if people are in a dark spot, like find someone, find a book, find anything to start with. If it doesn't resonate, stop and find something else. I think one of the best things that you can do is even if you don't feel like you can get out, find something that's going to give you that. Maybe it's a song you listen to every day. Like music is so important. There's actually a show that I just watched called Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. And it's one of the most profound shows um, because it just, they add music through it. And I think music is so important. So maybe you don't feel like you can get up in the morning or do something you don't know how to break through. Like find that one song that maybe you listen to when you're 10 years old and it just puts you in that like zone. Because even if it doesn't feel like it's helping it's helping. And I think like, even if you're meditating, it doesn't feel like you're helping or it doesn't feel good. That's fine. Short term where it's not going to feel good at first because it's different than what you've been doing. But if you can just do something and keep trying things and keep trying until you're going to find your way out, you will find your way out. You just have to find what helps. And so I obviously would always recommend getting a coach of any sort. Um, Find someone that resonates with you, that has a story and find that because having help is so helpful, especially someone that's outside of maybe your inner circle. But I think even beyond that, like you can do it. You can do it yourself. You just have to build up the strength to know that you can do it. Um, And sometimes people can't do it by themselves and that's where you get, you know, you reach out. But I think finding something that you can do every day, whether it's the song or a small meditation, or maybe it's coloring something that you loved from part of your life that you know in that moment you felt most true to you, you felt happy, you felt joy, and do it every day. And even if it doesn't feel good and it's not fun, do it. Keep doing it because one day it will feel good again. Mm -hmm. And I think... um, you just have to do things that move you forward. And if you're trying something and it doesn't work, don't give up. Just try something else and keep pushing through because I think that's where maybe I've gotten stuck in the past and I see a lot of clients get stuck is that they'll try a bunch of things that don't work, but you have to stick with something long enough. It's just like people who go on a diet for a couple of weeks, like that's not going to work. You're going to gain the weight back. So it has to be a lifestyle. So and, and getting true with like, is this actually not working or am I the one that's not doing it full out so it's not working because of that? And so I think you just have to do something each day that's just going to encourage you. And I find that music is huge um, for me. And so if you can't meditate, sit and listen to your favorite song, jam it out. If you're feeling... One thing that I love to do is you have to move your body. So Tony talks about this and there's actually three things. So it's your physiology, it's going to be your focus, and then it's the language that you use. And so moving your body, right? When you are anxious or angry, you hold your body in a certain way. Like when I was anxious, my shoulders were rolled forward. I was constantly fidgeting. You know, I think about like if someone's angry, like they're going to hold themselves different, but so it's, you got to use your body in a way that's going to serve you. And so dance, want to put on a song, even if it's a, a song that isn't the happiest song, but you can yell and you can dance and you move your body, move that energy out of you. So then you can start to look at where am I, what am I focusing on? Right. Cause if you're anxious, it's cause you're focusing on something that's not going right or that you don't like, or that you don't know what to do with, or that you're worried about. So if you can shift your focus to something that's more empowering for you, and maybe it's not sunshine and rainbows, but it's the thing of like, I'm going to find my way out. Like that was me. Like I was not thinking that I was going to have the life I do now, but I was like, I'm going to find, this is not the end for me. Yep. And and so I just had to switch my focus to that. And then I had to start listening to the language that I was using around things. And so I think 
moving your body. If you can move your body, get that energy out, get it unstuck. Like I don't care if you're a good dancer or not, like jam out and move your body, do jumping jacks, jump up and down, like something that's going to move your body. If you're anxious all the time, maybe just stand. Like one of my favorite things to do is just standing and opening your heart, like opening your arms to the sky and just opening your heart because it's a position of surrender. It's a position of just openness. And so if you can use your body in a way that's going to serve you, that's going to help so much because everything we do is just meeting a need. Like we all have these six human needs and everything we do is meeting them. It's part of who we are as humans. And so if you can figure out, am I meeting this need in a positive or a negative way? And then if it's a negative way, how can I make it positive? And then you start to look at where's your physiology, where's your focus, where's your language, and then you can start to move. And that's something that Tony talks about all the time. I got my one of my certifications through his program with Chloe Madonis. And so that's something that I fully believe in. And I've seen work in my life because you can make yourself anxious by the way you sit and you can also make yourself joyful. Yeah, yeah. The um, the state of your body affects your brain. This yep. is something where Dr. Reisman was on recently, who is his practice is in Brentwood, and uh, he's been in pre- holistic health since 1991. So wow. he knows his stuff. 30, yeah, <laughs> 30 years. And um, and I asked him. I think it was twice throughout the course of that conversation. I kind of alluded to like, is this now? psychological or physiological and like he was conf- he was like kind of confused at the question the first time because to him we are one yep. we are one we are one being we're one yep. human it's not like oh that's just a mental thing Mm-mm. that's not going to affect your body or no how your body is doesn't affect your mind no it's all one Everything. so how you handle yourself how you carry yourself does affect your mind and then it also affects how other people perceive you yep. which affects how your interactions go with those people yep. which affects how you feel which carries over into how you conduct yourself in future engagements with future people. I mean, it really does. Yep. It really does all tie together for sure. Yeah. Um, oh, there was something there I was going to ask you about the um, physiological. Um, you were saying something that I wanted to touch on a little bit more. Coaching. No, I can't think of it. I'll come back to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't the breathing. Um, well, let's, let's, I want to, I want to ask you what you are offering people. I mean, we looked at your website very briefly and I was reading through it, of course, but for the listeners, yeah, if they're interested in reaching out um, or I'm just curious what you're doing now and this is, this a full-time gig? Yes. Yeah. So this is full-time. full-time. Um, yeah. Full-time. This is my, my baby, my business and uh, my passion. So um, I offer, like I said, like one-on-one meditation and that's really just something that I just do just because I, I think a lot of people are afraid to try it. So that's not mainly what I do, but I, um, I love looking at coaching um, because it's really forward focused. So we're looking at where you are now, where you want to be and why, why you're not there. And so sometimes that looks like a little bit of like seeing what the stories that you've created in the past, but we're not focusing on the past and I'm never going to, you know, we're not going back to relive any of those things. Like it is really forward focused, which is what I love. So um, I offer one-on-one um, coaching. And, um, I offer a few different things depending on what people want, but I always offer a clarity session. So if you like need a coach or you're not even sure, or you don't even know what's happening in your life, or you just need anything, like I always offer a free session and I'm never going to take someone on that. I'm not going to serve best, but I will find you someone who will serve you best. Um, so the clarity session kind of sees like, are we best fit to serve each other and to work together? Cause coaching is a relationship. It's not like I'm up here, you're down here and I'm going to diagnose you and tell you what 
what's mm-hmm. wrong. We're side by side. And I'm here as a mirror, as a coach, as a friend, as an accountability partner, as everything to stand by you. And I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just asking you questions and really guiding you as you find your own path because it's all about empowerment. Like I want people to feel their own personal power and step into that and feeling true to them. So I always offer a clarity session. It's about an hour long. And it's a, a dive into stuff that's a lot of conversation, a lot of questions. And then um, I offer three, six, and 12-month coaching packages. Okay. And that um, it's usually 60 to 90 minutes of calls, three weeks, and then we have one week for integration. And so that's looking like taking what we've learned and applying it. And there's always work in between sessions. And that's because I can't talk to people 24-7. I would love to. But there's got to be something um, that they're doing in the process to empower them and to move them forward. So there's always work in between sessions, but it's not a lot. It's usually just small practices or something that's going to move them forward. And, uh, and then, yeah. And then we just coach, we talk back and forth. Um, sometimes there's always usually meditation or breath work or visualization, um, in it. And, um, and then it's just coaching after that, which is really just basically conversation. And, Mm -hmm. um, I do a lot of like dreaming and, and that stuff with my clients as well. I use a lot of different tools and techniques. Um, I hold three different certifications and I'm in the process of getting another one just so I can serve people best. And, uh, and so, yeah, so it's just, uh, there's nothing to be afraid about. But yeah, so I do offer three, six and 12 month packages and that clarity session. And that can look like relationship coaching. Like if you want to create the relationship of your dreams, or if you want to learn to love yourself, or if you are dealing with stuff that has shut you down in the past or anxiety, like I'm, you know, we can work on that. And, um, so there's really, I, I have a big wide reach of people. Um, and if I feel that I can't serve you, then I will send you to someone who definitely can. Yeah. yeah. And based on your website anyway, it looked like your demographic is more women. Um, it was, and that's something that, um, I need to update my website. So okay. I, I fell in love with that just because, um, I had been working, um, primarily with women, but yeah, no, I, it's, it's everybody, but okay. it's primarily it has been women in sure. the past. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And have you helped people like do an intervention on one of their loved ones. You know what I mean? Coming back to like being stuck and not knowing how to get out and thinking your life's over and thinking it's always going to be this way. It can be hard sometimes. Well, it can be hard sometimes to initiate like change within yourself. And sometimes it's effective for another loved one to like do a bit of an intervention on you. And, um, have you helped people or would you help someone like do an intervention with a family member that they know is just either spiraling out of control or is just stuck and they need like an outside, I guess, force or catalyst to help them like make a change? Yeah. So I think there's like a couple answers for that. Um, I think, uh, I, I never want to force someone to do it and you know, you're not going to make a change until you want to see it. And I think that's the hard part and the beautiful thing about it. Um, I have helped people who have come to me because of other people, but then have found that they needed to do work, which then opened up their spouse to see that they were doing it, which encouraged them to then come and then helped from there. Um, I, I don't necessarily do like interventions cause I believe it's this long process and there's a lot that comes out, but I have had conversations with people who have been like, I don't know if you'd be open to it or she would be open to coaching, but I would love to have a conversation. That's where I do a clarity session. Yeah, I see. So yeah, but I, it's sometimes, most of the time it's been people come to me for other people because I think they need to help someone else and they end up helping themselves and that gives people permission to, yeah, to open for it sure. up. You mentioned music earlier and 
I mean, I've used this tactic for years and years. I mean, way back when, but, uh, music for me is, well, first of all, music is just beautiful. I think C.S. Lewis says something along the lines that music is so beautiful and meaningful because it's basically like the closest, it gives us some view into like infinity, into like eternity. Um, be, just be, I mean, it, it is, it is, music is like, there's nothing else like it. You yeah. know what I mean? There's yeah. no other really art form. I mean, there's other art forms that are great and everything, but there's just nothing like music. And it really is a gift from God. Yep. Thank God for music. But one of the effective ways for me that music can be used is is in a transition. So like mm-hmm. if I have a stressful day at work mm-hmm. and now I'm going home, I don't want to just carry all that with me. No. And probably different people have different ways of making a successful transition there. But for me, there's like basically you know, nothing as good as music, like some, you know, good Lincoln park or whiskey <laughs> in the jar or, um, you know, won't back down by Tom Petty, like some good song on the way home, a song or two, like there is something about that that's tends to like unlock my mind and get yep. ready for, all right, now it's the evening and we don't need to carry the stress from the day into this evening. And it helps with that, that transition. Yes. So, yep. I love that. Um, how about you had mentioned earlier about uh, pleasing others and doing what other people, what you think other people want you to do or who you want, um, mm-hmm. who you think they want you to be. Have you grown in that area as well? And what's been helpful there? Because that is a, that is, um, it's like being in a prison, you know, if you care yeah. too much about what other people think. Yeah, I think... I think that that is always a learning experience. I think just because of the society we live in, I think that's something that I always have to be aware of it. And it's something that I've definitely grown in, but you still catch yourself in it. And, um, or at least I do, I catch myself in it. And so I have to kind of take myself back. And that is definitely an area that I grew in. I think um, one of the biggest things was a... um, learning how to use my voice in small ways first. Um, you know, I used to be really indecisive and just very like, ah, whatever you want. And so I think in small ways, like making decisions that align with me, um, and that can look like what I'm going to wear, or if someone wants to eat somewhere and I don't want to eat there, choosing to eat at the other place, because that what that's what feels best for me. Um, and I was actually the book Untamed by Glennon Doyle, I think is just one of the most brilliant books. And I was listening to it again the other day and she talks about being brave and how she has two daughters who um, their brave looks very different, but bravery isn't about being loud all the time. It's about doing what's most aligned with you. Um, and I think sometimes that can be really hard. And so literally just making small decisions that align with you to learn. Cause like you have to learn what's true to you because we're so shaped by other people and social media and our parents and all these different things. And so it's, it takes time to learn what, what is true to you and what does that look like? And, and what is, you know, what's behind all the masks and the things that you've, you've hidden behind your entire life. And so making small decisions that start to open up uh, what that looks like to you that was super profound for me. And it's something that I use with clients and it sounds so silly and so simple, but most of this is simple and it's Mm -hmm. going back to what's simple. And that's how we kind of push through everything. And so making small decisions each day that feel good to you and recognizing when you make decisions that aren't true to you. You know, if you go to a party because you said you would and you show up and you're not happy there, taking the time to be like, 
okay, I didn't honor myself and I came here because it's what everyone else was doing or because this is what they wanted me to do or whatever it may be. And, you know, and having the courage just to, to recognize that and then to make a different decision next time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's a good word about just the small, the small incremental changes. That's what it's about. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And yeah, my wife definitely deals with that. Um, more. She has dealt with that more. I have more tended to be like, I don't really care what other people think, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, there's um, some bad sides to that as well. Mm -hmm. So, but uh, wisdom and self-awareness are... Yes. Wisdom is, you really can't replace wisdom. You know what I mean? It's a very valuable thing. Yep. Um, Well, thank you for coming by today. This was really, really great. Is there anything else you wanted to get into here? I don't think so. I feel like we've talked about a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, just don't be afraid to live a life that's true to you. I just like, just want people to, I, if you don't have permission, I want to give you permission to, mm-hmm. um, just, just be true to you and to feel the feelings and to not be afraid to go into the dark, to look at that because it's going to open you up and, uh, just to, to have courage to be you and just to love yourself and do whatever you can to do that. Cause if you take care of yourself, you're going to be able to love other people and everybody has a gift and, um, just such a precious thing to offer the world. And, um, I just, you're, I just want people to, you're doing yourself and other people a disservice by not stepping into your full power. And so if you're playing small or you're afraid or you are in a dark place right now, like it's going to end and you're going to find your way out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you just have to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying and find something and listen to it every day that makes, that reminds you that you can do it. And, uh, and then just, just create a life that you want and that you feel aligned with. Yeah, for sure. So people can check out your website. It's healvictoriously.com. Yes. Okay. And you're on Instagram as well. Yes. Heal underscore victoriously. Heal underscore victoriously on Instagram. People can check you out there. Yep. Um, Well, great. Well, welcome again to Nashville. I didn't realize you'd only been here for two months. Yeah, brand new. Yeah. Well, welcome. I hope you guys love it here and can settle in and kind of find friends and make a home here. I'm sure that you will. Yes, thank so, you. So um, if you want to come see Andrew and I at church, we go to church on the west side of Nashville. Yeah. We'd love to have you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so great. Cool. All right, Victoria, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank this you. This was a pleasure.